Greetings, it's Justin. And I'm Chris. From the Sunspots Comics Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Cryptid Zoo. Cryptid Zoo is a t-shirt line uniquely infused with augmented reality and inspired by cryptozoology folklore figures like the Bigfoot. All the shirts are designed and hand screen printed on 100% cotton pre-shrunk t-shirts by the artist and owner of Cryptid Zoo, our friend, Julian Meyer. One of my favorite Cryptid Zoo shirts is the Miyazaki Stardust. The Miyazaki Stardust combines three things that you would never really think go together. Miyazaki, Bowie, and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's really an experience you have to see to believe. You download the Erasma app and you open it up on your smart device and point the camera at the shirt and the actual image will come to life right before your eyes. It's pretty amazing. Go and check it out at cryptidzoo.com and use the promo code SUNSPOTSCOMICS and you'll get 30% off your shirts. Most of the Cryptid Zoo shirts are around 27 bucks before discount with tax and shipping included. So check it out. That is cryptidzoo.com, C-R-Y-P-T-I-D, zoo.com. Hello and welcome everybody, you are listening to the Sunspots Comics Podcast, issue number 114, covering the new comic books that we read that came out on my birthday, Wednesday, new comic book day, July 5th, and this particular podcast has chosen to be just your friendly neighborhood comic book podcasters instead of... Avenger level podcasters. I am your host, Chris Latori, joined by the other half of our dynamic duo and my trusty crime fighting sidekick, my son, Justin Jables Latori. How you doing, Jables? Holy happy birthday, Batman. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us here on the Sunspots Comics Podcast, where we recommend to you an amazing list of fresh new comic books to read every single week. Never miss an issue of the Sunspots Comic Podcast just by subscribing to it and following us on the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at at Sunspots Comics. And please check out our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Tofilat. So what are we all about, you ask? Well, if you just want to hear a couple of nerdy fellas talk about new comic books and how much they love them, then you're in the right place. Or maybe you've been reading uh, comic books or wanting to, you know, what to, what to read, uh, where to go, where to save some money, you know, where you're in the perfect nerdy hands for that. Or maybe you've been reading since the Big Bang <laughs> and you just want to know what the best comic books are so you can save some time, save some money. And uh, Sunspots Comics Podcast is definitely for you. Yes, and three really fast thank yous. Uh, number one to Nick Papa George for making our Sunspots Comics theme song. Where can we find Nick Papa George? Uh, Facebook.com slash Nicholas Dell or uh, at Nicholas.Dell on Instagram. Yes, and thank you to you, Jables. Thanks to my son here for doing the Sunspots Comics blog. Where can they find that? Uh, blog.sunspotscomics.com You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JustSunspots. Very nice. I like the latest post you just threw up there about uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, by the way. I like that. It's good stuff. <laughs> sure. <laughs> also, um, thank you first and foremost to my wife for throwing me this very truly memorable birthday party. I love you. And all the family and friends who attended the party and also hooked me up with some seriously sweet gifts. And a couple of podcast listeners, by the way, sent some 
a little birthday gift to me and I wanted to just give him a little shout out and thank you. First, thank you to Ruben and Melissa. Thank you and hello. You guys sent me some Regal movie tickets, so very cool. I'll probably use it to see Spider-Man Homecoming again. <laughs> again. <laughs> right. And Mike Norris, friend of the podcast, he gave me volume two of the Mark Wade run on The Flash. I can't wait to read that. I'm midway into volume one and it's Mark Wade's run. It's He did about 95 issues. It's super, super good. But thank you again to all the family and friends for your gifts and your love. I love you all. Thank you. Still owe you a gift, but, you know, send rain check on that because I think I need to have a little bit of planning. Why don't you take me to see <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming again? No. I think, no? I think it's going to be a bit more either gaggy or... Uh, gaggy? I don't know. A little gonna... bit more heartfelt. I don't know. I'm either going right. to play a prank on you no. or I'm going to get you a really meaningful gift we'll see Excellent. i still haven't decided or do both or all three anyway <laughs> but right now it's free comic book time yes get ready i'm actually giving away doctor strange issue 13 and it's digitally so all you got to do is grab this code and go to marvel.com redeem the first one to grab it wins doctor strange 13 is written by jason aaron with some fabulous mind-blowing art by chris bachalo or bachalo and just to give you a little idea of where the story is in this comic doctor strange recently got his butt kicked and he's basically relying on magical artifacts now after this gigantic fight with this magic-killing empirical group. And then he's actually just teleported to this other realm of one of his arch-nemesis that's looking to cash in on his weakened state. So that's where this starts on issue 13 of Doctor Strange. So this is a free digital code. Grab this. Go to marvel.com slash redeem. The first one to do it will win this free comic book. So please, Justin, read them the code. F is in Frank, C is in Charlie, M is in Mary, 5, R is in Ralph, F is in Frank, L is in Larry, U is in Uranium, <laughs> M is in Mary, W is in Water, D is in Dog, 0. Yes, that's <laughs> that. <laughs> Again, one more time, coming at you fast. F-C-M-5-R-F-L-U-M-W-D-0. So come and get it. If you win it, please let us know so that other people will stop putting the codes in. By the way, I, I recently ran the numbers, ran the codes in to see if they were claimed. Most of them were. So you guys are grabbing them. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying them. <laughs> but please give us a little shout <laughs> Right, so that we know uh, that you won and we can say good job and let everyone know to stop trying to punch in the code. So, And also, I have, uh, from seeing Spider-Man Homecoming, I have another digital code to give out for free, which is Amazing Spider-Man number one. On Instagram, I'll be giving it away very soon, and there's also two other free little bonus digital comics with that as well. I got that from Regal Cinemas, so just follow us on Instagram, at Sunspots Comics, and you'll be getting some free digital codes for comic books very, very soon, and uh, just follow us on Instagram, like I said, at Sunspots Comics. So let's get into it, Jables. Let's break into the Sunspots Comics podcast, issue number 114, starting out with some stuff floating around in our nerd brains. That's right. <laughs> And the very first thing, the largest nugget of nerd in our nerd lobes is, the, this week, is Spider-Man Homecoming. Absolutely. This Woo! this Sony Marvel Cinematic Universe blockbuster film. Uh, spoiler warning, we're going to talk about it, we're going to spoil some stuff, just so you know. But before we get into that, Jables, who do we dedicate this issue of the Sunspots Comics podcast to? Uh, we dedicate it to Joan Lee, or Joan Bukak Lee, is that her middle, or main name? Yeah, that's a, yeah. no, it's not her maiden name, which is funny, I thought it would be, but uh, yeah. <laughs> she just likes to be called Bukak. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we dedicate this to Joan Lee, uh, rest in peace, the wife yeah. of Stan Lee. R.I.P. Uh, you know, the better half of 
the amazing comic book creator. Right behind every uh, artist man, they say is a is a is a woman. Yep. And she definitely was his inspiration. She was a British American hat model, and she actually <laughs> did. I know. And she did some voice. She had a nice head. Right. She had a perfectly sized head for hats, I guess. And <laughs> you know, this is probably the 30s or 40s. Yeah. And she also did some voice acting. She's uh, she, you know, she was married to Stan for almost 70 years, which is insane. And in the 1940s, she was doing this hat modeling in New York. That's where she met Stan. In later years, in the 90s, she actually uh, did voices for the animated series Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. I didn't know that until recently. She played uh, Madam Web in the Spider-Man series. I loved that series. I bought every action figure, by the way, because I worked at Target at the time, so I just bought them all. You remember. You've <laughs> yeah. seen them everywhere. <laughs> he bought me a White Ranger. I remember that. that yeah, that great. too. I bought a bunch of stuff when I worked at Target, but... <laughs> We, uh, of course, our condolences to everyone. Uh, she lived a long, fruitful, fantastic life. She was, like, officially 95. Everyone was saying it was 93, but according to the UK record, she was 95 years old. Ah. Of course, she leaves her hubby stand behind, their daughter Joan. You know, Joan Jr., kind of cool, and I'm sure grandkids and great-grandkids. So uh, thank you for being an inspiration to Stan the Man, uh, which you'd feel like the man that needs no inspiration. But yeah. he definitely, uh, there were times where he was really down on his luck. I was reading her, you know, her Wikipedia and she was really there to give inspiration to things like uh, the Fantastic Four, especially. And she was really there and always gave him ideas. So uh, thank you, and uh, we love you. And I also have just a little story I want to share of Joan. So this was when uh, Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire series. Yeah, it was two. Three. No, it was the third one. It was the second one. Yeah, I, have the, I, have the, I look back. It was, yeah. It was, so it was the second one with Dr. Octopus. And no, I got it invited. Was the third one. It no, it wasn't. With, it wasn't with Venom and Sandman. No, I, I remember specifically. I'm challenging you on this. Hundred no, percent. I looked it up before you did it. I swear to God, I remember no. Black Suit Spider Man because no. I wasn't old enough to remember this Spider Man two. You were little. You were like. No, you were I, eight I remember. Years old. Spi- I remember. It was the premiere of Spider Man three. I remember this. You look it so up distinctly. while I'm telling our story. But anyway, so I was invited to a red carpet premiere of of Spider Man with Tobey Maguire, and I, it was probably one of the first premieres I'd ever been invited to and it was in Las Vegas and it was a red carpet thing and Stan was going to be there with potentially other actors and so on that were going to be there as well and so we went super early it was at the Palms Casino you and I were standing there before anyone was even there I think we were three hours early (laughs) we were so excited so we're literally off to one side the first people in line there was no one there yet and Joan actually came up to us because you and I were standing there and she said, are you guys here for the premiere? And we're like, yeah. And I knew who she was. I was like, you're Joan Lee. And she's like, oh, that's so very nice. You recognize me. And I'm like, of course. You're the wife of Stan Lee. And, and Stan wasn't there. We didn't actually speak to him. So she just ca- had this very casual conversation with us, which I'll never forget. She was asking about you. And she asked you who your favorite character was. <laughs> and you were like, it's Spider-Man. And she was like, that's perfect. And and you asked if, she, if Stan was going to be doing any autographing. And she said, no. I was like, she's like, I'm sorry, he's not here for that. It's just the premiere. But give me your address and I'll mail you something. Yeah. I distinctly remember this because it was around the same time that Who Wants to Be a Superhero was on TV. Yes. That was 2006. Spider-Man 3 came out in 2007. Lawyered. No. I don't yeah. think, I think that's wrong. And, Still. <laughs> we met the winner. We met the winner. I remember this. We have a picture with the winner. Really? Yeah. I'm positive. Okay. I'm absolutely right. positive. Well, I remember great. it being Thanks three. for talking about it before, so <laughs> anyway. we worked this out. Thank you. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, uh, but, but yeah, I, I remember this. I was maybe like, I was 10. 2006. Yeah, yeah so I was 10. Yeah. yeah. Ten, um, the, this was, it was, 
the first time I think besides meeting um I don't know Jack Black or anything where I met uh, a celebrity you know I, I mean we we saw Stan in passing and, and I obviously knew who that was but uh, I mean meeting Joan Lee wasn't as you know fantastical as meeting Stan you know Stanley but sure. uh it did have that uh that butterfly effect you know it did. she had that magical quality about her and she was such a nice lady and uh I do remember getting that signed picture in the mail saying like you know to Justin like Excelsior like yeah and she had a yeah. she wrote a, a handwritten little note yeah. as well which I still have too. It was just like, had such a great conversation with you and your son. I here is the the picture I promised signed by Stan. You know, thank yeah. you for being a big fan. I remember at the time I saw the change in you. Like when I was talking, I talked to her a little bit at first, and then I told you that it was Stanley's wife, and then your eyes changed. Yeah, it was great. You're like, oh, that's Stanley's wife, and then you became sort of starstruck. Yeah, and we just had like, this. Who, I was like, who is this lady? Yeah. <laughs> and I knew it was and I was just uh, we just had a great she was such a like a heartwarming person and it was before I would say the level of, of fandom and fame that he has now I mean he was still kind of on the rise right Stan was doing some little cameos here and there I mean also it's the sort of new breed the new the new sort of feeling of the Comic Cons gaining ground and, and yeah. a lot of it becoming in the mainstream it was like you know it was there I mean it was really kind of building it's not what it was now yeah. but Still, I think it, I think for me he was always in that sort of limelight, just because I you know you would always sure hyped him up for me. So I, knowing who Stanley was and and stuff like that at such a young age was was you know so shocking. Yeah, you know to 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 know, to see that he was right there and to be talking to his wife was was insane and and she she kept her word which I thought yeah. never would have happened. Yeah, I did kind of yeah. count it out too. <laughs> so, I was like she's not going to send us anything. Yeah, she she was a nice lady. I do remember that conversation. I, it, it was so long ago, but you know, it, it was still awesome. Uh Yeah, she was sweet. She was a sweetheart of a lady. And uh you know, say what you want about Spider-Man 3, still sort of like it, but uh <laughs> Yeah. You know. So uh Maybe it holds an extra special place in my heart because <laughs> of that moment, because of, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess. And we were yeah. there and yeah, so uh, our hearts go out. Thank you, Joan, yeah. and I'll never forget that conversation we had with you, and <laughs> it will always go down in history as one of those great moments of just meeting a nice lady, and she followed through and sent us something yeah. that was super sweet. But anyway, so, so we do dedicate it to you, Joan, and we miss you, and we love you, and thank you. But let's talk about it. Let's get into it again. Sort of spoiler alert. We're going to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, so, we're going to spoil it because I do want to spoil some stuff. I want to, I mean, I, it, just discussion points, you know, some stuff that I think would be, I don't know, maybe debatable or, or you know, I don't know. I'd like to get to your opinion on some stuff. Okay. Well, so right off the bat, they, uh, as we played here in the opening, the, the Spider-Man theme song from the original TV awesome. show was revamped and it was just beautiful and it was a wonderful setting Michael to sort G of... Giacchino. Yeah. He's the guy who's like revitalizing Star Wars music now. He did the he did the, the score for Rogue, Rogue One. One, and and he's uh he's like the men the men uh, I don't know his mentor is um, John Williams, so it's a good mentor to have. Yeah, in the in the <laughs> realm of movie <laughs> you're orchestrations. You're gonna be mentored by anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's the one um, to to pick, right? But yeah, right off the bat, that I I thought that was awesome. Like, cause I I showed you that video. Remember that? Yeah, that was a piece of news six months back or whatever uh and it was just a, such a cool song like they just like revamped it you know made it sort of uh exciting and 
It was cool. Yeah, so feel free to scrub back to the very beginning and listen to it again. <laughs> and or look again. it up. I mean, it, it was on Michael Giacchino's Twitter. Uh, I'm sure you can find it, or you can just look up Michael Giacchino's Spider-Man score uh, on YouTube or something. But uh, it was awesome. I liked it. Other than that, though, it, the score didn't uh, wasn't sort of as um, memorable. It didn't have a hook that I still that I remember in my brain. But that, uh, that's fine. I want to see the movie again. Yeah, I but mean, I'd, probably, I'd have to see it again. For though. me, I, I mean, in other movies, other Spider-Man movies, uh, especially like well, um, yeah, the original. Like one, yeah, right. Uh, it's still very memorable in my brain, and you know they replayed it in three movies, so that's you know. That's Danny Elfman. I mean, that, that Danny Elfman soundtrack was for Spider-Man one and two, is just. It's irreplaceable. Right. You, you so can't. it wasn't recognizable to me yet, but I do want to see it again. But I thought that it didn't have this very sort of repeating hook that stuck in my brain. I mean, but that's use, fine. They use the Avengers hook, which, you know, is is semi-memorable. Uh, I mean, I couldn't hum it right now because I'd have to, like, hear it once to do whatever. But uh, they, they did play that a couple times. I remember hearing that, especially uh, towards the end of the movie. But uh, other than music, you know, other than all that stuff... What were your thoughts on, um, I guess, no origin? You know, no or this was there was no origin in this right. movie. They didn't kill Uncle Ben again, but mm-hmm. you know it's implied. Uh, they did sort of like backhandedly reference it. You know, there was a part that where Peter says, you know, like with all the stuff that's happening with Aunt May, like I don't want to put her through all this stuff. Uh, but how, what did you think about having no origin? I, I mean, I personally. I think you sort of need it, but at the same time, establishing that he's already been a hero for a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, keeping up with the time frame right after Civil War, which is, you know, a given, uh, I think they did a pretty good job without having that emotional tie um, to, like, rely on, you know? What do you think about, what do you think about no origin? I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I'm a little mixed on it, but overall, I was good with it. I was kind of thinking they were going to do something as a montage in the opening. Yeah, Bat- and, a la Batman v Superman. Yeah, in just know? kind of an artistic way to like let some of the folks that like you and I that don't know Who Spider-Man don't know, so much. Yeah. I mean, th- there was a, a review I listened to where they sort of they directly comment on this. Mm-hmm. People who watch this movie 30 years from now who have no knowledge of Spider-Man will be con- kind of confused. Sure. You know? Well, coming into this, like, oh, well, what happened to Aunt May? Like, why is she? How did he become Spider Man? He's just Spider Man. What you know? So, having known that, or having known what we know, because we're mm-hmm. super nerds and we we don't need it, you know. I I do think this it would have helped if there was some sort of hint at it. Sure. Um. But uh, remember in the uh, McGuire series, Alex Ross did the artistic comic book sort of origin montage at the beginning of the three the, movies. Alex Ross did, did they it. Do the, he, I don't know if he did the first one. I know he did the second the second and the third one. He did I don't remember three. the first because I don't remember the art, but yeah. I'd have to rewatch it again to see if there was art in the beginning. But I do remember the third one very yeah. clearly where, where it was like he recapped all yeah. the movies. And uh, that would have been kind of nice, I think. But like at the same time, uh, Marvel was like, you know, it has been, origins have been done to death. Let's move on. Let's move yeah. forward. I mean, it, yeah, so it, I was okay with it. They didn't waste any time just getting straight into it, which I, I you know, I enjoyed yeah. because they, they, they started the movie off with such a great hook to, to start Michael Keaton's villain, you know, uh, to go from that to seeing an origin, like from going that time frame, because which that was post Avengers one, you know, two thousand ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was post Avengers one, so like jumping 
eat, like, I don't know, forward a couple years mm-hmm. to see Uncle Ben die, and then jumping forward another couple mm-hmm. years after Civil War would have been a little jarring. Yeah. You know? So, uh, I do like that they sort of just kept it away. I do think that you do need that emotional tie. It's very important with Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, it's and, by very by virtue his very soul. Yes, that that is why Spider-Man his superhero is Spider-Man. soul. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that sort of brings me to my next point. Actually, um, I got a ne- the next point. Spider sense. For me, Spider-Man's primary f- power that I love and that I, I love to think yeah. about and that I dreamed about having as a kid spider was spider sense. There was no spider sense in this, so I think you understand the gravity and yeah. the weight of it. For me. How did you feel about that? Well, Kevin no Feige, Kevin Feige did uh, confirm that he does have spider sense. They didn't make a big deal out of it, though. And, and you know what? I um, it didn't tingle. It didn't tingle. <laughs> there was a one point where like he sort of like reacts a little early to something, but they don't make a big deal out of it. Uh-huh. He did. Uh, he did show that he had spider sense in Civil War, like once. He did. Yeah, when when Winter Soldier throws something at him and he's not looking, hmm. and he sort of goes, "Oh God!" and he dodges real quick. That's it. But uh. But you know in, what? I, I do think that that because they didn't rely on it, it mm-hmm. was kind of cool because it made him a little bit more naive and and more, um, I don't know, inexperienced. And, and, you know, it, it is a superpower. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, 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 you don't need to be experienced to use it, I guess. But I do think it, it added to, to his character a little bit, that he didn't have this, like... Um, advantage already you know maybe he needs to hone his senses a little bit more he's still still a young kid he's still learning his powers he's only had the powers for i don't know like eight months almost a year because remember in civil war he's like i've had these powers for six months Mm -hmm. and uh you know whatever but uh i did you think by any chance that maybe it was a contractual thing like they couldn't use spider sense because of the whole sony slash marvel thing i think it was a script thing yeah I think they were just like, uh, they just sort of left it out. I, maybe they glanced over it. Maybe they're just like, they didn't think of it. Mm. Or maybe it, they purposely didn't. I mean, I'd, I'd have to read the script. I'd have to talk to the director, Mark Webb. I'd have to talk to all these people to, to figure that out. Call them up. See what happens. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, uh, give, them a, give them a ding ding. Um, <laughs> but, so uh, you were okay with it overall? Yeah, I mean, I didn't mind it. It didn't, it didn't occur to me till maybe about like, uh, I don't know, 75% through the movie. I was like, oh yeah, they haven't used the Spider-Sense effect oh. or anything. It didn't It didn't bug me because I didn't even think about it. Wow. Uh, but the, looking I, back I on the movie kinda, that you bring I was kind of waiting for it. I surprisingly uh, I mean, was. I, I was like, oh, well, he'll, he'll have a spider. Oh, didn't have it. I was like, yeah. movie's over. I, so I, I was a little disappointed. That was a little kind of a, maybe just a small knockdown for me yeah. because that is in its, as you almost, like as you said, the soul of his character is the you know the irony of Uncle Ben passing. They mm-hmm. kind of you know brushed over that, and then for me it's Spider Sense and his abilities. On top of that, yeah. I, I kind of put for me I kind of put Spider Sense first. It's like a very cool thing to not being not yeah. looking and not really seeing or almost not paying attention. But his reflexes are so amazing that he gets that sense. His the hairs on the back of his neck you know rise. He gets the chills almost, and he has to react. Yeah, and uh, they they miss that. I mean. But, Small knock, but spiders don't have a spider sense. It's like not scientifically proven. So like I don't, I don't know. Maybe they're just like, well, oh, both spiders don't have spider senses, so let's not give them. Sp-. I, don't know. I was I being know. stupid, but yeah. uh, um, <laughs> back to what I was trying to say before. Yeah, so um, go to your point. We we talked about yeah, the spider sense. Go uh, on. We actually, I think I, we'll I go this point up for to point. You, you go next, and then I'll go. I brought this up to you at, at um, Grandma's birthday dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the my only I had two complaints with the movie that they sh- they could have done better or they could have left out or could have added onto but uh my real sort of story complaint that I think I I I do wish they would have added to or put something in it was give it to there us. was no besides one scene there was no real emotional um weight to this movie gravitas I mean, if yeah you will. I mean there there is like there is Stuff that totally embodies Spider-Man, like the, the party scene, mm-hmm. um, where, where he's like sort of torn between going to save this thing, going to investigate this big explosion, and you know, looking going through the skylight to, moment as well too, like the yeah. kids all swimming, and he's like, yeah. mm, I want to kind of be with the yeah. kids, but uh, I, I, yeah, I'm a superhero. Yeah, but uh, there was one scene, and it directly ties into a comic book that um, is super iconic. Um, where he he has a bunch of rubble on his his back and he sort of uh, has to like will himself to pick it up Mm -hmm. and uh, that was the only emotional scene that I felt like had like you said gravitas that had like that emotional weight it didn't have what I would say Spider-Man 1 and 2 had where it had this emotional like heart-wrenching moment or or even I'll I'll bring this back and it's probably one of my favorite scenes from Amazing Spider-Man 2 which isn't the best Spider-Man mm-hmm. movie ever, but uh, where where Aunt May is saying because because Peter's like sort of investigating oh, his yeah. parents his parents' death yes. and he's like sort of pissed off about it and she comes in and says like you're my boy like you're my son yeah like I raised you and da 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 and she starts to cry and, and Sally Field does a really good acting job in that scene it didn't have one of those moments for me where it was like like almost tear jerking and I think yeah. Spider-Man needs one of those moments and the the scene with the the rubble on him. Wasn't enough for me. Or you remember when Tobey Maguire um, was given twenty, like forty dollars? So yeah, twenty twenty dollars. And, and he too. was like, "No, I can't take this." And yeah. she was like, "Take it, take yeah. this." You know, yeah. I can't Start, give you much. Yeah. And like, uh, and I still like get choked yeah. up at that scene. Yeah. But you're right. Uh, I fully agree with you. Uh, lacking a little bit of emotional gravitas. The scene where all the rubble was upon him. It was a good scene. Was I, a claustrophobic not... scene. Yeah. Like it gave me a moment of, or for anyone that's sort of slightly claustrophobic, there was a moment yeah. of panic. But it wasn't like yeah. the. Oh, rise up and chills. Yeah. It was like, oh, he's got the weight on his, on his yeah. back on the, on, from the world. And you're like, oh, gosh, you're tense because of claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. Not from... And you know what? I think, I think yes, uh, the stage is set. If they move forward, I think they have to, to go there a little bit more. Even... Um, so it, that was the... That's completing your point. I agree with you. For, yeah, for the most part. Um, so my next one is Aunt May. So we know it's, <laughs> you know... <laughs> It's uh, Marissa what, Tomei. She's hot? They've younged her up, right? You don't like but, that she's hot? Uh, well, no, it's fine. <laughs> I'm totally fine with that. Because uh, it's a strange thing. When I was reading the comics when I was really little, I always thought, Peter Parker's 15 years old in school and Aunt May is 80 with yeah. a cane. Yeah. How old are his parents? Yeah. And, and the age never worked in my mind. I was yeah. always like, well, in my life, my aunts are, you know, 20 years older than me. This aunt was like 70 years older yeah. than him. So uh, that always was kind of odd, or maybe, so how, or why they should have called her aunt out of respect. But where I'm going with this is, did you notice that they sort of uglified Marissa Tomei a bit, and <laughs> the glasses, and put yeah. some strange glasses on her, yeah. the weird granny pants that were like yeah, up to basically like, her, her, her yeah. below her, you know, breasts. So like, <laughs> like the pants were pulled up so high, yeah. and like they had to kind of. I think they were maybe in filming. They went like, she's too hot. Like we gotta <laughs> unhot her a little. Did you catch that uh, in five or six scenes? I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, <laughs> but again, I didn't really 
care. It didn't. It didn't bother me as much. What did bother me about Aunt May, and this is a major spoiler, major major spoiler. So if you if you don't want to hear this, you might want to skip like fifteen seconds or twenty seconds. Is that she finds out that he's Spider Man at the end, and well, that bugged maybe. the crap out of me. I mean, he either, skipped right to the he end. He could. He could. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. I mean, this is just on the topic it's of Aunt May. Topic of Aunt May. Um, I I don't like that. I, I really don't like it because one of my favorite aspects of Spider Man, and it's a weird weird aspect that I don't really know if anybody else feels this way <laughs> is that Aunt May has always known that he's Spider-Man. Always. Right. But she doesn't reveal that he kn- she knows. Right. And she always is there for moral support even when he doesn't think she knows that he's Spider-Man. And I've always loved that aspect and I've always loved that she's always there and that even if she doesn't show that she knows she knows and she fully supports him in whatever he does. Mm-hmm. So her finding out like that like that in, in sort of a comedic way was sort of just like like I don't know a little a little bullshitty to me like I just really <laughs> thought like they could have done that better and I don't know if that's how they're gonna keep it he could just be like oh it's a Halloween costume or some no, shit it's a, the cosplay um, there's a there's a comic con in yeah, town a New he York can Comic-Con. give some stupid excuse but still <laughs> because of that I, I just hope that you know that's not how she finds out or whatever but I, I just didn't like that I mean I, I feel like it could have done better, or they should have saved it. They, I don't know, whatever. But on your topic of Aunt May, <laughs> I liked her. I really did. I thought she, uh, she didn't have those scenes like the other two actresses did. Yeah, she wasn't um, in it much. They, she wasn't in it very much. Yeah. Um, the real weight scenes were held for Tony Stark, which is for all those like emotional sort of motivation scenes were were mostly with Tony Stark. But uh, she did have a couple moments where like I was like, wow, like. I can see where they're going, and she's it, the fact that she's hot does not affect. <laughs> I just think her, the the, the wardrobe department should have done a little better. <laughs> I, I, who knows? Looked... You could never. That's one aspect I don't think anybody will ever find out, unless Marissa Tomei is like, yeah, they made me look ugly on purpose. But uh, I didn't really care for it. I mean, I, you're bringing it up. I, I didn't really. I just thought it was odd. It really stood it. out for me. It, you know, it just it just. They really put her in some odd pants and those weird glasses, and it was just kind of strange that they were trying to make her look like they were trying to make her look dopey, like you know I don't know just it was just odd to me. I know she's basically broke. I mean they live in a you know where they live and how they live, and so maybe they were going with that a little. But should they be broke because Tony Stark is sort of supporting him? Yeah, I don't know. know. Uh, But I thought that was odd and it kind of stuck out for me a little bit. mm -hmm. Um. For the most part, what we've talked about is our <laughs> negative aspects of this movie. So jumping back onto, back to I guess what we liked about the movie. Well, I have another, I, another point. Let's go with the points. Uh, uh, the comedy, the comedy, and the great. comedy time. I loved it. Yeah. yeah, what did you I think? The timing? Do you think timing was I good with humor? I thought it was perfect. I, I loved how Spider-Man was actually quippy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this goes back onto something I've always complained about Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield is that. Um, Tobey Maguire wasn't snarky enough, and he wasn't quippy enough. Mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield was as Spider-Man, yeah. but Andrew Garfield didn't have the Peter Parker aspect down like Tobey Maguire did. This is one of the first times ever in the history of all Spider-Man portrayals where he got down both. He okay. got down Peter Parker, uh, which is the nerdy, sciencey kid, and he got down Spider-Man, who was quippy. He never shuts up when he when he's fighting. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that I've actually seen where. He does both, and he has both Peter Parker and Spider-Man down, and I praise Tom Holland for that. Um, do you think this is, I mean, uh, 
a lot of people are saying that this is the best Spider-Man portrayal ever. I mean, out of the three actors. Hmm. Um, do you think it's the best Spider-Man portrayal? I don't think I'm ready to say that yet. I do need to see I it again. I need to see it again, yeah. I do need to see to, it again, to, but... To, to, to say it, but... When I think about uh, the, the Maguire series, I think about part two a lot. And, yeah, and Dr. Octopus yeah. scenes and uh, and just that, that Sam Raimi style of uh, just extreme close-up horror feel and everything that he does. And it just has this stylistic look and feel and the orchestration that always sticks yeah. out in my brain. So I'm leaning towards that. And Amazing Spider-Man number one was still super solid. Two wasn't. But Amazing Spider-Man number one was... It also hails to me. I still love that suit. I've probably invested more money in and toys and, and yeah and, <laughs> and statues and figures comic of books? Amazing Spider-Man think, suit. You think you have more Spider-Man comic books than anything else? I mean, yeah, going back into your original collection and stuff. Yes, if I had to overall count them all, because that's sure. what I was I was thinking about the other day. I was like, he must have mostly Spider because most of the stories you would ever tell me were about Spider-Man and and whatnot. <laughs> so uh uh. So I'm not ready to say that yet, but I'd like yeah. to see it again and, and see how that feels. This was a very young-feeling movie. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Uh, it just, it you know, being in high school and John it was in Hughes. that world. Yeah, it had that kind of feel to it. There was and even, <laughs> I don't know if you caught it, the Ferris Bueller little yes. tease. I thought that was awesome. We're, we get we finally got the question answered, I guess. Where, <laughs> you know, where what if there's no buildings around? Yep. What is, so what if Spider-Man can't swing? That was so great. He's got to run, you know. When so he, he shot out Web over the middle of this park, yeah. and he was like, "Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was great." Exactly. Um, <laughs> that was a good. That was that's a great scene. That was great comedic timing. You know, I thought it was done perfectly. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely a younger feeling movie. This, uh, I think, they needed to do that. Yeah. I think they needed to do something different. Uh, so they put him in high school and they made him a high school student. They made him feel like a high school student. This was definitely a high school movie. His best friend was awesome um right i think it's jacob batalone which he's like hawaiian which is awesome yeah uh, he uh, i told patsy she looked over at that character when they when they first were talking uh, and she was like she looked at was, me dude, and i was like dude yeah I, he kind of looks like me my i watched this movie with moises <laughs> my, my two buddies moises and matt and i watched it with adam my stepbrother um and i i looked over at moy as soon as like he started talking about some nerdy stuff and and he looked back at me and i was like dude that's <laughs> like that, it's totally me and he's like the first time he was talking about like oh like i got the lego death star and peter parker's like what i was yeah. like yeah dude i would totally get the lego death star <laughs> yes that's me um but yeah he, he, the fact that he was in this movie really grounded it in that sort of high school feel the guy in the chair i love that right. um uh, but the Spider-Man series with Miles Morales has that, that character. character that's his best friend so, yeah, so they they're, stole it. they're yeah. mingling there and i, I yeah. thought that's fine that's what was cool. his character's name I ned forgot. Ned. Okay. I don't think it's Ned and Miles Morales Spider-Man. Yeah, comic I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Uh, um, but uh, I, I loved that they, they, they had to do something new. And they yeah. did something new, which we've never seen. I mean, we, for the most part, we yeah. never saw a movie with Spider-Man still in high school. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Amazing Spider-Man 1 was the closest, but like we saw him in high school like in two scenes. Yeah. So that was it. Um, uh, so I loved that he was ditching class. I love that he was like getting in trouble in school yeah. because that is what embodies Spider-Man. Yeah, is that he he has this problem with balancing both lives. Yeah, and uh, the fact that he like got detention was cool. I, I just loved that he had all these real life problems, which is what embodies Spider-Man. Yeah, the me. heart of Spider-Man. Real life problems, while also having superhero problems. He's not the best at balancing both lives. Right, and which is awesome. I I, I just loved that. 
I think the the story of him being in high school really sort of uh, allowed that to happen. Yeah. You know? So if they didn't have that aspect, it wouldn't have been the same. Sure. Know? And I'm kind of getting the negative stuff out of the way, but one yeah. last uh, point that I had was Happy. Uh, his character. Uh, would you agree or disagree that Happy Hogan's character was basically one note through the movie? Well, he's been one note throughout the whole Marvel right. Cinematic Universe. And, there, the, and he was in this a lot. I mean, even maybe oh. more than Aunt May, and yeah, he was maybe. just that one note character. I mean, it, yeah, that's what he was. his job. I mean, he's... Yeah. It, it was I just like wasn't his... a big fan of him in this, honestly. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. I, I, I mean, I guess it, uh, Even when he went for that, hey, I'm going to give Spider-Man a, a, in the high school bathroom as he was there. I loved that, that scene. That little awkward scene. I but loved that it scene. It was like, okay, you're going to see a softer side of him and he was going to give Peter a compliment? It didn't happen. No, he did. He said, Not thank really. you, man. Like, you saved my ass. Like, Yeah, sort of. But he's still in that uh, that happy mode. And uh, I wasn't again, a fan of his not, character. I think not... I think it would have. he was fine if he would have been cut out of it. Like, uh, I just wasn't the biggest fan of John Favreau in there. I'm sorry. I, I actually really liked his character. Uh, I, I thought that he added some some much-needed, like, I don't know, like, almost parenting to him, you know? He really? Was, he was, yeah, he was like, he, it was like, he was the character that I was... I felt more of that from Tony, from Tony Stark in this See, but he was... Happy. He was enforcing what Tony Stark was doing. I, I don't know. I, sort of. Again, he just, he I never returned his is, calls. He yeah. would leave messages. He wouldn't answer them. He ultimately was, at the end, said, like, man, I should have listened to you more. Yeah. Like, this is, that was one aspect of the movie that, I again, I didn't really pay too much attention to. Okay. Um, mostly because I didn't mind it. I thought it was mostly meant for comedic stuff, which, again, didn't bother me. Uh, the fact that... Peter had to like reach out to him and he was like ignoring him and doing all this <laughs> stuff was a part of the movie. It was a much needed part of the movie because he felt left out from all this stuff. And Peter Parker wants more and Happy Hogan was the way to get to that. And Happy Hogan was like a, you know, sort of a deterrent, mm -hmm. which is what his character was for this movie. Uh, but Happy Hogan is not important because what I really loved about this movie and hands down, I, I borderline think this is the best villain of the Marvel Cinematic Michael Universe. Michael Keaton, yeah. He killed it, man. Uh, he did. It, it, they started the movie with like a flashback to post-Avengers number one with Michael Keaton sort of salvaging some stuff. And it like for the first time in like a really long time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you actually get some motivation that like makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just... Like it was, it was just so done so well. Yeah. Like he he portrayed this character so perfectly. Um, the, I mean, the Vulture is not a very, I don't know, in my head, like the best villain for Spider-Man. Uh, the fact that Michael Keaton could make a lesser, I mean, he's not really lesser. He's pretty big, mm -hmm. but like a not as popular villain. Sure. Done this way and done this crazily good. It just showed how. I guess how great Michael Keaton is as an actor, but uh, and how well they wrote him. You they, know? Yeah, they, they wrote it really well. Um, I mean, the fact that he was directly affected by yeah. damage control and yeah. the Stark, I thought that was cool Stark too. Enterprises <laughs> taking over his construction site, putting people out of work. You know, these 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 construction guys that were like his family. Yeah, you know, throwing them out without a, throwing them out in the street without Tinker, a job. That yeah, was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. there were Tinker. some some definite little peaks into other characters um, there. But uh, you know, and the Scorpion. Yeah, yeah, I saw that yeah. too. Um, so yeah, the, uh, I guess another sort of uh, 
just praise was was they wrote his character to be this like kind of twist. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I want to spoil that because that's a really good um, aspect oh, yeah, of the yeah. movie that I didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. And I kind of I really thought that was like like oh like okay cool right. like it, it made it made this aspect of the movie sort of make a little bit more sense and and like added some more much needed depth like much mm-hmm. needed depth to to why spider-man wants to stop him mm-hmm. um i thought that scene where they're going to homecoming mm-hmm. was just so amazing <laughs> like the, the like him i guess him figuring out who peter parker is who yeah you know was just so mind-bogglingly bo- good like yeah. the he was just like working it out and his eyes in that scene were just so like expressive uh the fact that he like pulls out this gun and tells like you know hey kid like you know yeah. like i don't want to spoil anything yeah, any right. further but uh, he's you know he tells him like hey kid like you're gonna forget <laughs> about this conversation and you're gonna go and have some, a good time right step out like step off you know back off and that whole scene was just like so high strung for me yeah, and just so perfectly done because of Michael Keaton um I, I would say he's hands down probably one of the best aspects of this movie just having him just run a train on you know acting for a villain it was great well yeah I think a lot of comic book movies that's the area of where most of them suffer is really creating a good villain yeah. so if you really create like one of the greatest, you know, comic movies of all time to me is The Dark Knight, you know, because of Heath Ledger. Yeah. So it's just, uh, it's creating a really good bad guy, and they did that with Michael Keaton, yeah. so I was super happy with it. I didn't feel a lot of chemistry between him and Liz Toomes. I, I didn't feel a lot of well, chemistry yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, it's like, she was sort of like a 16-year-old girl. Like, he, he, you know, he was sort of just like a, I don't know, like like an older character to her. Yeah. Like, she was like on her phone being all ditzy and kind of stuff. <laughs> I didn't really care for her character, to be honest, like... Yeah. It was sort of just a crush. I knew it wasn't going to last because this person, right. you know, whatever. But uh, going back on what we were talking about, like, with Scorpion and, like, little Easter eggs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Did you catch, uh, and this, I wanted to bring this up in movie news, but I guess mm-hmm. it just ties straight yeah, up. Yeah, tie it in. Um, so, uh, Donald Glover, Childish Gambino. Yes. You know, one of my favorite, like, artists, actors right now, he's coming up in, in the world he, you know I don't know if you watched Atlanta but it's like really good um his character I forget it was like Aaron Davis or something like that something like that but he's supposed to be the prowler which I, I had to read that up because I had no idea mm-hmm. but he's supposed to be the prowler but he gives a line in the movie where he says oh I have a nephew that lives in this area yes and if you go back into Ultimate Spider-Man Aaron Davis or whatever his name was is the uncle to Miles Morales. Yes. <laughs> so I caught that. I was like, oh my goodness. They're tying yeah. it together. So does that mean we're going to see a Miles Morales Spider-Man movie? So, yeah. I mean, um, you know what's, <laughs> kind of, the road. what's kind of ironic, too, is uh, they're, they're doing an animated Miles Morales Spider-Man movie. Full-featured with, animated With Donald movie. Glover voicing him. Right. <laughs> Which is, like, so kind of funny. Yeah, uh, that he's tied in and he's the he, uncle yeah, of he's the Miles uncle Morales. in the and, MCU. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I just loved that aspect. And I, I freaked out in the theater. Nobody else did. <laughs> and I was like, you know, like, I, 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 that happens a lot to me. I don't know about you, but that happens to, to me a lot where I'm like, <gasps> yeah. oh, and nobody's, and my buddies are all like, what, what? Because they always know I catch shit like that. And it, it bugs them that they don't know. And so, like, I told my buddies afterward, and they were like, oh, like, oh. good catch. And so... Uh, <laughs> oh, your non-nerd friends were like, yeah. whatever. Uh, Dude, I, I don't understand. 
I need to, I need to meet more nerds, like, or, or just go to more movies with you, because I could have like tapped you on the shoulder, or, like nudged you or something, and then we could have been like, yeah. We have those deep those gasps um, every so exactly. often. Exactly. <gasps> Especially with the with the tattoo, the scorpion tattoo on that guy's neck. Oh yeah. I did the same thing. I was like, <gasps> and, and and nobody else got it. And yeah. I was like, dude, this. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I'm with you. But <laughs> overall, overall, I I loved this movie. Um, it's I I couldn't tell you if it's my favorite Spider-Man movie yet. I will say that this is probably my favorite portrayal of Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, m- again, because he nailed both aspects. He nailed that duality perfectly, to, in my opinion. He nailed the, the nerdiness sure. and he nailed the quippiness. And he, he got Peter Parker and Spider-Man in one character and embodied it, which I loved. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I love the movie. Do you want to rate it or something? Or Ringing wanna... endorsement. No, you said really love. That's your rating, I think. That, that does it for you. I you don't think. like to. You don't want to. I mean, I, I guess we probably. I put it in the lightly love. Light. Okay. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put it in the really love. I want to see it again. Yeah. Definitely do. See it um, again on Monday, by the way. It definitely had a younger sensibility, so I know I'm an old man, and uh, you know that that aspect is there. And I told you before, my favorite Spider-Man is the one that's thirty something, so that's fine. But I definitely want to see it again. I love the visualness of it. I love the special effects. It wasn't over CG'd. There was a ton of, like, Tom just flipping and doing backflips. Because he's, he's amazing, this guy, yeah, with his parkour ability. And yeah. even his ballet experience. Yeah. Like, he's just uh, physically, he can just flip and jump. And, and that you can tell, because you know when you're looking at something real, Tom was doing that stuff. You know, yeah, these little I mean, close-ups of him just flipping and doing a weird jump. You're like, that's Tom. Yeah. Because you, if um, you watched all his YouTube stuff, yeah, his his, stuff, his yeah. physical language is very identifiable here, yeah. and I really like that. I mean, he it, is. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why they hired him. Yeah. You know, that he can do all this stuff while he's still a good actor, yes. and he was again. He's probably the aspect of the movie that I thought really sort of grounded me and made me love it even more. I mean, he was the main character. Obviously, he's, you got to have that relationship. One of the, I, I would say the, probably the the best scene that made me, uh, I don't know, feel that sort of connection with him was in that, that warehouse where he's just sort of stuck. Yeah. You know? And he's just talking and, and, and it's such a great scene, comedic scene. And I just thought like, okay, that is Spider-Man. That yeah. is Spider-Man. Yeah. That is, like, to me, that was just the... Im- the perfect the embodiment. embodiment. Yeah. And I was just like, like okay, like, he's got, he's got my money, man. Like, uh, he... So I... I will say he's my favorite. I don't know if he's the best because, again, Spider-Man has to have that emotional sort of tie. Mm-hmm. He didn't really have one as big as, like, a Tobey Maguire did in, in Amazing Spider-Man 2 with, like, the train scene. Mm-hmm. So until that happens, I don't know if he's the best, but he's probably one of my fa- he's my favorite. Definitely. I'm there with you. So there you go, folks. There it is. Uh, also, stay all the way through until they turn the lights on. By the way, yes. just stay yeah. all the way because there's some great stuff there yeah. uh, you can't miss. So don't leave until they literally turn the lights off and they're sweeping up popcorn near you. Just wait. Trust us. But there you go. Justin really loves it, and I lightly love it. And I, we definitely both want to see it again. So maybe yep. tomorrow? Uh, we'll think about it. <laughs> we'll I mean, I'm going to see it on Monday, so I mean, do I want to see it a third time? I, I, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, there you go. Well, uh, moving on then. So there you go. There's our review of Spider-Man Homecoming. Next up is just uh, just one little quick uh, article we have in the comic book, movie, and TV news. What is the one article you got this week, Jables? Tell uh, us. So it, it was a, sort of a, an update by Todd McFarlane on the Spawn reboot. Uh, he his shop He's shopping around the script, you know, to, to different studios in Hollywood. Uh, 
he the one thing I thought was was cool is he he mentioned that he's he's writing it as a smaller movie. Yes. Which is cool. I mean, I I I haven't read much Spawn, um, but I do know that you can do it in a small horror setting. You know. I think um, so. Did you hear his uh, his pitch? Is that he's just trying to do it for about ten million? Yeah, yeah I have that, that written down. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was awesome. So, because of the small script and small small style movie, you don't need that big of a budget. And if he could do it on ten million, like, dude, wow! If he could do it on ten million, you will see a paradigm shift yeah. of like comic book movies. If he sure. can do it in ten with ten million, and it be like, I would say seventy seventy five percent or higher on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, like you will, you will literally see the budgets of of all these MCU movies like drop at least by like a couple million, uh, just because, dude. Like, if well, you can who do knows a good if, Spawn movie, like, dude. Yeah. Well, who knows if it's gonna touch like the DC or Marvel paradigm and how they do things, right? But yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think it could seriously set. open up the independent Indeed, yeah. realm of comic book movies we'll for if he does something for ten more, million. More image movies if, yeah. if this is successful. More Boom, more Arkea, yeah. more you know just. Dynamite, uh, all these studios are just going to be like, oh my gosh, like Valiant and Ninjak and yeah. Exo Man of War. Can you just imagine? Yeah. Um, there is one aspect too, though, in, in while he's shopping around, he he is like, I guess, he wants to direct. It's like in a contract. That's if he, part if of they it. Sign I saw that with too. his movie. He, wa- he, he has it set in like a contract that he is directing this movie. He wants to direct it. So That's bold. That's, because the guy's it, like, look, I've never directed a movie, but I own Spawn. Yeah, it's So my, if you want it for 10 yeah. mil, uh, I, mean, I got dude, the I got the I'm behind the wheel. Yeah. Period. And, and also he's looking for private investors too. So like he, he's investing sure. in this movie with whatever money, multi-millions this guy probably has. Uh and then he's also looking for private investors to help like, mm-hmm. you know, sort of crowdfund it. And then he he only wants ten million from a studio. That's I mean like, that seems like nothing, dude. Like I would if I was a studio head, I'd just be like, dude, dude, here's go 10. for it. Here, here's twelve. Ten million, <laughs> regardless, ten million. That's not much of an investment, right? They'll public they'll publicize the movie. They'll make it whatever. They'll do whatever advertising, sure. and then Todd McFarlane handles the rest. Like, yeah. I would do it in a heartbeat. I mean, if seems I was a like a no brainer. So why are they scared? Let's just do it, folks. Uh, studio heads, just. Give him the money. Give him all the yeah. monies, please. Uh, I mean, give him ten million if he's, yeah, that's, he's that's all he's asking for. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's all the news I brought. So I mean, there's not much. That's a good one. I'm excited. One. I I hope very soon we see another Spawn movie done in that way in a smaller sense. I watched and... the I don't know 1990 sure. something. Dude, that movie uh, it doesn't hold up very well. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Roland, because Roland and I just had this conversation. My friend of mine. Hey, Roland. He listens to the podcast. About how he loves the Spawn movie. I, I mean, he loves it. Although he was probably eight when it came out, yeah. he just loves the corny hokiness of it. I know Uncle Bob it. does too. Uncle Bob, yeah, loves, Uncle that Bob movie. loves Spawn. But I watched it and and being the, the analytic sort of moviegoer that I am, <laughs> the, I, I really, really Doesn't don't want to. I don't want to crap on this movie, but like, it does not hold up, <laughs> and it's not it's not how I remembered it as a kid. Uh, so yeah, I mean. I, I mean, watch it. It's a pretty, it's a fairly faithful adaptation to like the comic book. Uh, That's why it still sp- holds a special yeah. place in my heart because it's but like, dude, it's just go so back done. And watch this movie and seeing all the comic book movies you've seen, like it doesn't hold up very well. Yeah, it'll be a nostalgic Especially thing for me. Martin but... Sheen's character, like oh, right. Yeah, but they just took panels out of the comics and did them directly. Like yeah. they really didn't say like it's let's just. They didn't say like let's do our own thing in this yeah. in the movie universe. No, it was like trying to translate panels 
onto the screen. Like uh, I still give them props for that. Yeah, and uh, I know Roland I don't want to go it. on that tangent, right? So. But I'm still that's exciting. Spawn news. Thanks for bringing that in. Yeah. That was that's fantastic. I, I am. Mean, I'm, I'm excited. Any? Yeah. Did they say at all? Because I didn't get it from the article I read. No release date. Any release time or if he's even? I mean, he's he, just he pitching he at this sold, point. He hasn't sold the script, so that's still undetermined. Well, good luck, Todd. It should be a no-brainer. You're going to get it done, and we're going to see a Spawn movie very soon. I'm sure. Yep. So those are all the things in our nerd brain. So now, on to the very last... Well, one last thing in my nerd brain, of course, is that I'm writing a comic book called Zombie Destroyers. I'm doing the, uh, the writing, the coloring, the lettering, and my friend Jordan Hudson's doing his art. Please check out his Instagram at Jordan underscore Hudson underscore art. His art is beautiful. And also check out ZombieDestroyers.com from time to time where we have some sample pages. You can see some stuff. So I'm actually putting out a comic book. I'm super excited and humbled by it. Chasing the dream here. And just a quick Zombie Destroyer update... I actually got in my possession, which I'm going to show you right after, Justin, the huge two-page splash on page 22 and 23 of my comic, and it's gorgeous. It's uh, polished. It's beautiful. Thank you, Jordan, for your lovely, lovely art. And I'm actually just about ready to... I'm still doing the kind of final polishing up of pages 24 and 25 to submit to Jordan. So hopefully we're shooting now for a release of number one. I just had to kind of bump the date. I was hoping for late summer, but it's looking like it's going to be maybe in October. So that's issue number one of Zombie Destroyers, the comic book I created. Uh, hopefully get it to print and everything be done by sometime in October. So there you go. There's just a little Zombie Destroyers update. And also a little mention to our our segment called Spotlighting. Tell the people what that's about, Jables. Uh, if you're someone who is an independent comic book creator, uh, we want to shine some Sunspots comics love and support to the struggling creators. Um, Spotlighting is basically if you're if you're an independent creator, send us some of your stuff. Uh, you know, if you're an artist, writer, whatever, send us some of your stuff so we can review it and we can talk to you and we would like to interview you on the show. Uh, so email us at chris at sunspotscomics.com or justin at sunspots.com, um, and uh, yeah, you know, message us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all that stuff. Um, so if you're an independent creator like ourselves, yeah, uh, we want to do our part to help. Um, you know, so yeah, so please just you know, we're more than look back in the feed. We've had a bunch of people. Uh, thank you very much for all being there that we've interviewed in the past. Just check yeah. out the feed; you can see them all. But uh, we'd like to have you here, and we'll interview you and talk about your comic to help get your work out there. It's tough to get uh, comic books out there when you're an independent comic book creator. I know, so definitely reach out to us, and we will do our part in our spotlighting segment to, to interview you and get your stuff out there. So now on to our favorite part of the Sunspots Comics podcast, which is our comic book reviews and recommendations, where we pick our favorite comic books for new comic book day, Wednesday, my birthday, July 5th. <laughs> and of course, Justin, tell the folks. Uh, semi-spoiler alert. Yeah, we, don't, we don't like to spoil all of the comic book. We usually leave a couple pages out at the end. Uh, but we are going to use our powers of persuasion to uh, inspire you to buy these comics so we don't want to completely spoil them. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to see everything that we're reading and all our favorite picks of the week since May of 2015 on Sunspots Comics, you can click on the poll list and you can see our updated titles, which is 148 oh. that we buy every week or <laughs> we you know we buy monthly and whatnot. Um, but yeah, if you want to see all those, you can go to our updated and compacted list on sunspotscomics.com. So we're super proud of it. Please check it out. Please do. Thank you. That's sunspotscomics.com. And every single week, we pick an artist winner and a cover artist winner. This week, my artist winner was Akko. And he has no social media whatsoever. Or she. I have no idea. <laughs> and also no last name. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh... For Nick Fury, issue number four. And this has been some really crazy, wild art. And this week, I finally kind of felt it was completely appropriate. Because they go to Atlantis. 
and they see uh, <laughs> Namor, Prince Namor, and it just seemed to fit properly as this undersea, beautifully colored coral reef kind of kind of beautiful landscape. And Atlantis is just so beautifully drawn by Akko. It's gorgeous. You gotta see this. But page one is like this, one and two is like this two-page splash where Nick Fury has this sort of bio suit where he's got a rebreather where they've filled his lungs yeah. with some sort of experimental shield fluid. Kind of like in the movie Abyss, which I love the movie Abyss, by the yeah. way. Go back and look we at that. You see the James Cameron, right? Right, and we don't get to see any of that where he's sucking in the fluid into his lungs, but it's working and he's got this almost gladiator-like suit where he's kind of has these propulsion yeah. units coming out of his arms and he's just floating down to Atlantis, and it's gorgeous, and, right? Yeah, he's disguised as an Atlantean. So the, the colors of this book are just far beyond any book I've seen. It's, yeah. It's just nuts. Rochelle uh, Rosenberg on color, yeah. top notch. I, I, I may start picking a favorite colorist of the week just because of Rochelle. <laughs> She's just really bringing Man. it to my attention. How the coloring, and especially on this, you got to see it. There's so many pinks and blues, and Orange. even in the word bubbles, how they fill the word bubbles with like a blue neon. Yeah, it's something really, different, yeah. like you've um, never seen. The art is just almost unexplainable because it's it's <laughs> so crazy. the 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 panels yeah, are the just panel creatively done. Um, the like I said, the colors, but this one in particular, because of like the aspect of Atlantis, you can yes. tell like Akko whoever Akko may be, uh, <laughs> the mysterious just went Akko. nuts with pencils yeah. and drew some crazy architecture. And and it's a beautiful book, man. I, I, I can't deny it. And I, I didn't have a pick this week, but this is probably what it would be. Yeah, and they and they must have had a bunch of these in the bank because there's no way, you know, the, the amount of lines that Akko has produced here, this had to have been done like a year ago. And maybe yeah. seven or eight of them are already done. Because they've released them on time. Nick Fury, we're on issue number four. And like I said, there are so many lines in this fight scene especially. Whereas the panels are unique. It has this sort of x-ray sort of feeling to it with these strange colors. And you can see right to skulls and bones. It's like this x-ray feature. But it's it's gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous work here with... you got to look at this. Nick Fury, issue number four. Easily, Akko. Artist winner of the week. And cover artist of the week for me was actually Jack T. Cole, uh, which you can find on Twitter at New Jack Cole, for The Unsound, issue number two from Boom Studios, written by Colin Bunn and art by Jack T. Cole. But this cover is insane. It's got this gorgeous tree and sort of this psychiatric ward in the background with all these windows peeking in. And they all have this this uh, face from this Xerxes or Xerxes? Xerxes. Xerxes. From his strange mask that he holds, well, they sort of miniaturized it, adding like sort of pumpkin bombs is the best way to describe them on this crazy tree. And the roots below it are sort of the catacombs of this mental institution done in like this green hue. Very creepy, very insane. It really pops out, though, as a beautiful piece of yeah. art with this tree. I would just say just because of the white of the background or the, the, uh, the just the contrast from like the dark tree and the dark... Um, underbelly of whatever the roots are in yeah. uh, just sort of sets that off with the orange and just how dark it is to compare to this very bright stark background yeah uh, yeah i mean it was it's a good piece of art uh if you could take the tree out and make it you could almost make that be like a like a piece of art you can display in like a house like I agree. Just a tree but uh yeah it was good yeah i agree and even how the sort of pumpkin mask little bombs on the trees yeah. match the sort of color of the font of the title of yeah. the comic 
just Probably adds done on, done on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> adds another little sort of color aspect, including even the sort of yeah the leaves down on the on the ground, the little saplings, if you will, that are popping out of the ground match that orange as well. So it had this kind of Halloween feel, like this. I don't know this this Nightmare Before Christmas feel to it. That's but a good analogy. Yeah. yeah, but the two characters are standing there also, looking very stoic, and you also, for the first time, just sort of see a glimpse of Xerxes, his face there, because he's always covering his face with the mask. With one of those masks on the tree. But, good uh, stuff. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful cover art. Again, The Unsound by Jack T. Cole. Thank you, your art's beautiful. Again, on Twitter, at New Jack Cole. So check out his stuff. Fantastic artist. And the breakdown, Justin, what do we got this week? Uh, so we read 23 comics this week. Ten of them made it to the original, uh, to the, I'm sorry, the Great Ones recommendations list. Ten. Uh, so that's almost 50%. Mm-hmm. It's close. Um, but we, you know, we always want that 50% yes. you know, ratio. Uh, new number ones, there was only one, uh, Diablo House, which right. made it to the list. Cool. So uh, One for yeah. one. Hundred uh, percent. So, <laughs> so let's let's get into it. Let's, let's go. It. Here we go. This is our great ones list of comic books for New Comic Book Day, July fifth. We consider these comic books to be the greatest of the great ones this week, and only the great ones make it to the list. So here we go on to the countdown. So coming in at number ten is our cover art winner this week from Boom Studios, The Unsound. This is written by Colin Bunn, who's doing everything right now, from X Men Blue to Harrow County. Yeah. To name just a few, and this, and his other title, which the name escapes me as well. But he's doing a bunch of things in the sort of horror genre, but I'm loving it. This is issue yes. number two. Yeah, The Unsound, and this is nuts. This paradigm shift. Is what it, it's a paradigm shift. Yeah. You explained it to me right before I read it. Uh, you said that this, you thought, you had, I guess, certain expectations mm-hmm. going into the, from issue number one, and it just sort of shifted your your expectations. Right. Um Explain, in a great explain way. that, because you explained it in a pretty good way. Yeah, this had like a one flew over the cuckoo's nest very psychedelic trip that was about to happen, right? It seemed like. Yeah. And then this turned into an action film. Yeah, it's like almost it like, uh, you know, I, I guess I could say. Uh, the patients have a crazy <laughs> breakdown and just start killing every all the, the people that work there. And so it's like a mob of mental patients coming after these the small group of survivors yeah and i wonder if that's what the whole story is going to be if it's a small mini series based on that and you also get some hints of like is your is this main character i forget her name uh is she crazy because I, I think right. she is it's also like a sort of like a shining vibe I would yeah, oh, absolutely well said yes and there is this moment where she's talking to sort of the the dean Warden, the head of yeah. this of the uh, mental institution her name's ashley and he's yeah. almost like has her in a session because she's like, she says, do you hear this bell ringing? And he's like, uh, no, there's no bell ringing. Um, um, so this reminded me talking? perfectly of another movie that I saw, Shutter Island, Leonardo DiCaprio. There you go. That. So it has what that I feel. think, I mean, just making predictions here, she's actually crazy and none of this is actually happening. Maybe you think that until the riot begins I mean, and then it is maybe. affecting the other staff and they're all running for their lives. So maybe she's, but maybe it's both. I don't know. Maybe she, she is nuts. Tripping, but it does feel like it's he's tangibly happening. Pills too, which I thought was crazy. And she swats them out of his hand, yeah. so maybe there is. It seemed very tangible that there is a giant riot of all the mental patients, and they're all yeah, coming for the staff. That's probably actually happening, but I do think she is a little cuckoo. Yeah, and this is like her second day or first day of yeah, work. Second, yeah. I mean, what a man! Run yeah, from, for the hills. You know, yeah. get in the car yeah, and hit the road. <laughs> but uh, th- put it to put it completely. 
um, into perspective. This is just a paradigm shift yes. from issue number one. And uh, it, it was good. I, I thought this one was better than the first one. Absolutely. And I so, thought yeah. Xerxes, also another shift was Xerxes, that character that always puts that weird mask on his face. He's like the leader of the help here. You know, and yes. he, I didn't think he was, I thought he was the sort of primary bad guy, but uh, not, not so much. So check out The Unsound. It's super good. Written by Colin Bunn. Fantastic stuff. And it's only on issue number two, so jump in. So what's coming in at number nine? Tell them. Uh, so coming in at number nine is our only number one this week, and it was Diablo House. Yes. Uh, by IDW. Um, written by... You missed it. I did? I passed <laughs> yeah, right it there. Um, oh, by is. Ted Adams and art by a Santa, Santa Perez, which is another one-word name. Yes. Uh, this was... I, I would say this is almost my favorite book this week. Right. Uh, this is nuts, right? I'm so glad I just randomly grabbed this at my comic book shop. I saw it there. The cover jumped out of me because it's the uh, the, the artist that did um, the uh, the Lock and Key series, uh, oh, Rodriguez. I had no idea. Yeah, that did the, uh, the the variant cover that I grabbed. Okay. And so it's gorgeous. But tell the folks the gist of Diablo House so they can go grab this. It's basically like if Satan... <laughs> uh, Satan? Uh, yeah, Satan owned a house in, in La Jolla... <laughs> right next to the beach or whatever, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, um, so if Satan owned a house in La Jolla, <laughs> and if you sold your soul to Satan, you get a permanent residence at this house. Uh, so, and he gives tours. And so. there's like this surfer guy, very like Spicoli. Yeah, uh, surfer. Just, <laughs> <Spicoli>. <laughs> looks like him. It's very Matthew McConaughey almost. Totally like Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Can play this, this role. He's got, um, the, and he's just like telling the story in a very surfer kind of way, like it's no big deal. He's very nonchalant but the about story, working there. The story was nuts, right? I, I think that's why I loved it so much. It was just, it was just about um, a guy who sort of acquires, almost like this documentary I watched on the New York New York Islanders, which is funny. This character <laughs> actually owns a hockey team at one right. point, uh, a San Diego hockey yeah. team. <laughs> so uh, the the story was basically about like the, the this dude. <laughs> who com- somehow comes to be a CEO of this company, and in a kind of devious yeah, way, his rise to yeah, to he fame. Sold, he sold a soul, right, to the devil, right, um, to basically get this this company and, and become this, <laughs> this rich mega god and then this it, fish taco enterprise. Yeah, it's a, basically a yeah fish taco Taco Bell esque <laughs> type thing. Uh, but it's just sort of the which which is funny because I like I was actually. Writing a story about this, uh, you know, I'll tell you later. But, uh, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but basically, uh, that moral story, you know, where it's like, where you have like, you know, do, is it good to have everything you want? Yeah. You know, is it right. is it really good to 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 have all your dreams come true? You know, is it really is it worth it? Yeah. Or is it is is it detrimental? And, and, right. And this is definitely one of those cautionary tales. Yes. Which I I loved, and I I think I relate to stories like that just because. Just because, like, it has, like, a sort of, like, a, I don't know, Aladdin-esque feel, you know? Like, where, yeah. where it's just, like, it, it, it's too good to be true, you know? Right. And so I love that. And this is a great story. Even Bruce Lee says that uh, goals are to be chased, not to be captured. Yeah. And this sort of has that play on what happens if all your goals are met. You know, what do you do in your life? You know, so this is very much an exploration of that in this character. And the art, by the way, is gorgeous. This is definitely the second place art winner for me. Yeah. It sold me so easily. There's a scene where they show him as a, as a child, RC and Angie, this couple, and the little <laughs> the faces, right? 
are yeah. so beautifully to where, drawn. To see where this, where these two, because it start, they start off as kids. Right. See where they go though is like nuts to, to like see their kid faces again. Yes. Um, but this, yeah, again, this is a very cautionary tale which I loved. Uh, almost, it almost starts off Forrest Gump esque. You know, these two kids who. Yeah, who it's Forrest sort of, and Jenny. You know, yeah, yeah, kind of right. I mean, without like the retardedness stuff, but uh. And the drug use and whatnot. But, but there's uh, like a, that page four that shows sort of their origin with no dialogue. Yeah. Uh, just grabs Montage, you right from the get-go. Yeah. And how they use the sort of action bubbles. With like skulls, that are yeah, yeah, like the parents are fighting and these are dollar signs that are flying over their head but oh, crumbling. I yeah, that. I know. It's nuts. And even when uh, the, the young characters, Angie, uh, the mother, puts a gun into her mouth... Behind her, these skulls like the it's the, the, car- the cardinal sin right there. You yeah, instead of sort of using action words, they're using sort of symbols, metaphoric symbols, and that's right? I think um, gorgeous. It's everywhere in this book because yeah. it even starts with a line that says like you know you know like there are metaphoric symbols. Take them as you will. Um, so even yeah. the the father being an alcoholic, there's yeah, a the there's a beer, for, um, and it's not literal beer, and but yeah. it's that's just and, sort and of a telling the story, the, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah. So this again was a very, I would say, a book worth reading just to get this one shot story. And I think every issue, if this isn't a one shot, oh, I hope. I don't so. know if this is a one shot. It, it, uh, no, it's going to continue on. But I think every issue will be a just single another story. cautionary tale. Yes, I love that. That's right. so awesome. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I loved it. I'll Solid number one. Yep. Gra- put it on the poll list for sure. Got to see where Diablo House goes. Get it immediately. You will not be disappointed. Some beautiful, crazy art. And boy, where it ends up going uh, is a little bit of a shocker, and it's crazy, and it's just... I, I love the ending. I horrifyingly fun. There's a, Yeah, the ending's great. The ending it was just perfect. It's nuts. Yeah. So coming in at number eight uh, is <laughs> Skyborn number four by Boom Studios. Yes, um, this is by Frank Cho. He writes, yeah, uh, he wrote, created it, wrote it, and illustrated it. Frank Cho. Awesome, cool. Yeah. And so you what did you think? Too. I met him, yeah, yeah, I met him, had some stuff done. Great, crazy artist, <laughs> very super fast, and writes very bodacious women. But uh, <laughs> tell the folks, because you laughed four or five times reading this, because yeah, you so read this in front of me. Tell them the gist yeah, and uh, why you laughed. Th- uh, if you've seen a movie called uh, Cabin in the Woods, yes, produced by Joss Whedon, which is uh, a, a movie that totally crept up on me and like surprised the hell out of me uh this is the last 20 minutes of cabin in the woods <laughs> yeah so it's a good way to all these it. crazy monsters are just in this facility like let loose and basically like this guy's gotta stop them yeah so <laughs> there's there is this immortal that had some kids that are also immortal they have superhuman strength and impenetrable skin and the daughter dies in issue number one sorry spoiler but it's issue number one uh, quote unquote dice and this is the story of Thomas the son trying to find his way and uh, be the man in charge and sort of fight Merlin who has <laughs> uh, decided to just rush this compound and Merlin has brought dragons with him so he wants to get to this Pandora's gate for what we kind of don't know yet but I think it's to unleash all of the uh, the otherworldly creatures on yeah. earth because they have some of them captured. It's like a prison this in is, this mountain. This is interesting cause, too because it mixes in like, you know, uh, Greek mythology with like um, my- mystical, you know, unicorns and stuff like that. And with also like, you know, medieval mythology and, and, you know, stuff like that. There's like the Yeti in this too. Right. It's nuts. Uh, so there's a lot of mixtures. Of, like I said, it's, it's, it's Cabin in the Woods because at the end of Cabin in the Woods, 
all these horror cliche yeah. monsters just sort of are let loose. So this is like mythology monsters yeah. just tearing up the place. Um, and it, it's a... I, I mostly laughed because of the way like they handled he, he this guy uh sky what is his name i forgot uh, thomas uh, Tom, yeah thomas mm-hmm. thomas skyborn or whatever mm-hmm. um he uh the, he he runs into multiple like foes in this yeah but then there's just one random dude with like a bazooka <laughs> that <laughs> always says, just shoots him and he's just like uh, and it says the Widowmaker on yeah. it and he always shoots him in the head and it, it's such great comedic timing with that, it, right? I just thought it was—I thought it was so funny because it's like, oh yeah, like, here we go, <laughs> right. and then boom, you're just like, oh shit. Like, okay. <laughs> but uh, it, when a comic book can make me laugh, it's it's a it's it's a good sign. And and this wasn't like the funniest comic, but it did have those little chuckle moments. Yeah. And uh, the art, you know, it, it's unprecedented. It's yeah. Really good. Solid uh, lines from Frank Cho having yeah. to draw. A ton of creatures, and, and there is a scene that is <laughs> that is redacted out, if you will, that has a you know a bar over it, redacted. purposefully, of uh, of just this very centaur. odd and awkward centaur uh, and a unicorn. That's all we're gonna say. We're not gonna tell you what they're doing, but there's um there's you an editorial <laughs> there's an editorial uh, blockage done to that scene. You spoiled it for me. So uh, <laughs> I think if you would have not said anything, it would have been funnier. But. Uh, all right. That was a that was it was a pretty funny scene. But if you like all that madness, you're gonna love Skyborn. Get it, and it's ending. Uh, this is issue four of five, so get the first one through three. Trust me, they're easy, action-packed reads. Like I said, of these immortal there's a, characters. There's a pretty big uh, cliffhanger at the end of this one. So. Right, yeah. and a surprising reveal in this as well, yeah. uh, of a of some character. But anyway, get Skyborn. Really great. Uh, yeah, Frank Cho's doing a fantastic job on this. So coming in next at number seven is from Image Comics, Rock Candy Mountain. We've been loving this. This is from written by Kyle Starks, and this is uh, written and drawn by Kyle Starks. Colors by Chris Schweizer. But this is that nutso story of Hoboville and a, and a and superhero hobo, right? Superman hobo, if you will. Yeah, who can, can't lose a fight to any one man. Right, and has that strange book that telling telling him and pointing the direction, no matter which way he turns. Mm. Which way Rock Candy Mountain is, a fictional place that we believe is just in songs, he really knows it's a real place for some yeah. reason. Uh, but <laughs> I, what I would describe this one as is the main character, like, it's like, you know, one of those Medea movies, like, our main characters <laughs> go to jail, you know, like, um, so they go, to, they're arrested and they go to jail. Uh, this is basically about them breaking out, right? Yeah, this has that, <laughs> um, you know, it's just a very kind of. It has a little bit of that orange is the new black feel, like it's very in the prison. It's very, uh, um, you know, what's the other one that I love? Uh, the, the in the prison and he escapes and Andy Dufresne, you know. The, oh, uh, um, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, thank God. That has that feel of Shawshank <laughs> Redemption with hobos in prison, yeah. right? Uh, and there's a whole pecking order. There's a a guy with a girl's name that they meet. That is a pacifist, but this uh, amazing Gigantic, yeah. <laughs> giant fighter guy yeah. that can break through walls. <laughs> but it's just sort of their romp into a prison here because you got Slim that's following our crazy Jackson mm-hmm. hobo superhero, if you will. It just keeps getting him into trouble. Right. And he comes to the realization here that everything bad that's happening <laughs> to him is because he's hanging around with Jackson. Like, it took him long, a while to figure that out. But uh, he's getting a lot of hobo mess following around Jackson because the devil is hot on their trail. Yeah. Uh, they're just so it's just so quirky. Yeah, uh, I mean that's if you love just like funny, I would almost say Rick and Morty or Samurai Jack style comedy. 
or like you know just that sort of art style and and um, almost funny book ish you know stuff. Yeah. You'll love this book. I, I, I don't I, honestly like. I don't. I don't really know if I want to say because this is a great issue. I, <laughs> yeah, don't, um, don't. I feel like they've they've just gotten progressively better, so I'd love to see where it's going to keep going. You're right. It seems like from number one to now we're on number four has gotten better each issue. Like it's making its way closer to like number one. Seems like it's always like ten, nine, eight. Now it's like mm-hmm. coming down even further because it's getting better, which yep. is great because that usually is a, for comics. Sometimes that can be the very opposite. But Rock Candy Mountain, grab it and play the Rock Candy Mountain song, the instrumental version, from from uh, Brother Where Out Thou, Out, Out Thou. Brother Where Art Thou. Yeah. Yes, play that instrumental version uh, on repeat when you're yeah. reading this. That's what I do. <laughs> so Rock Candy Mountain, loving it. So what's coming up next, Justin? Uh, number six is a comic book that I purposefully did not read. Right. Um, You're going to step into the cellar? You're yeah. going to go downstairs? Uh, uh, it's Jupiter Legacy 2, issue number 5. Yes. Uh, by Written by Mark Millar, Mark Millar and uh, drawn by Frank Quietly. Um, the reason why I didn't read this is because I didn't read part 1, and I read one issue of part 2, and I was like, yeah, I, I can't do this to Mark Millar's stories. Yeah. So, I... You're you know, going to redact I, yourself yeah, out? Yeah, I, I like stepped, <laughs> I stepped back, and I'm going to read this in its entirety um, later, so do your thing. In honor of you there, I'll make it the shortest uh, review <laughs> and really just talk people into this. Um, the only complaint I have is the release dates have been insane. Yeah, like, I, we're only you know, on number five, that. and I think yeah. it's taken three years or two years to get all of them out. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but it does seem like forever. Very uh, non-scheduled. Uh, but this is the end. This is the end of Volume 2. It's the 5 of 5. And it's ultimately Mark Millar's sort of exploration into the Justice League into his own sort of characters. There was a betrayal, whereas the world, the president, the world leader, was the sort of Superman character, and his son uh, stepped in to take him out of that spot, is all I'll say, for non-spoilery reasons. Mm-hmm. And sort of the the rise of the rebellion, where the, the, good guy, the bad guys have to turn into good guys, because they realize that the good guys, the Justice League, screwed things up so badly that the bad guys had to sort of step up and get them out of control of everything and kind of set the world back to zero. That's kind of what it's ultimately about. But this is well done. Mark Millar has a handle on this. It was like he was rejected to do the Justice League and really has a handle, (laughs) (laughs) which I don't know why they would do that, but I just get that feel. Yeah, that would never happen. And Uh, Frank Quietly's art is nuts. Tons of lines. It's all over the place. It's, I mean, it's just uh, gallery-worthy, like every single page. And there is some unique, twisted powers that these characters have that have definitely taken a lot from the big two and turned them on their heads and as to how he's empowered them. And uh, it's great detail. It's a, it's a fun romp. It's a, just like, it'll be nice to read it in full collection because it's take so, taken so long to get to that's, where we are. Uh, you know what I'm going to do. So. Excellent. So that's <laughs> where I'll leave it. But go get this. Get the collections of Volume 1 and Volume 2. Mm-hmm. And there's Jupiter's Legacy, and then there's also another one, Jupiter's, I forget the other, which is a, even a bigger prequel into the sort of development of the good guys that make it to becoming the world leaders. And it's very Watchmen-esque, because it shows them early, early on. That's exactly why I didn't read this, because yeah. it's uh, Mark Millar's, you know, Watchmen. Yeah, so. it's Watchmen and Justice League, <laughs> all kind of in Mark Millar's version. But there you go, get Jupiter's Legacy, it was a great ending. Uh, you want more of this? I want more of this, but it does look like it's kind of a hard ending. But Jupiter's Legacy from Image, go and get it immediately. So tell us what's next, Justin. Uh, number five is uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is basically Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yep. Um, 
It's by the Archie Horror, you know, series uh, number seven. Abrina, I'm sorry, this is issue number seven of this this series. Yep. Uh, written by Robert Aguarsacasa, mm-hmm. and uh, artwork by Robert Hack. Beautiful art, by the way, and this strange kind of like it's almost cut from a piece of wood, kind of textured coloring. Yeah. Ink, uh, sort of waterish. I wonder if he did slash this, oil. There's a tactic I remember doing in like elementary school where you take like tea bags. Like like wet tea bags, and you would actually like rub it on the paper, um, you know, not your balls, but like actual tea bags. Uh, sorry, <laughs> and you'd you'd soak the paper in in, in tea, and it'd make this sort of um, old timey paper. Yeah, this um, parchment kind yeah. of look. That's like a you'd crumple wet the paper. Distressed. Yeah, you'd crumple the paper and rub it with tea bags, and it'd be like you know, look sort of like this. And I, it, it looks like he did that. Yes. Like, so all the whites are actually like like a brownish. Yeah. Uh, like orangey brown, like a so. parchmenty yeah. look and feel, and it has that very much uh, afterlife with Archie sort of feel and look mm-hmm. and sensibility with all the orange and red. Just seems to be a ton of that here. But this is a sort of uh, origin story of, uh, <laughs> of this character Edward. That when Edward was a young kid, looks exactly like Eddie from the Monsters. <laughs> if <you've>, <laughs> right, <laughs> I've never seen the Monsters, but yes. So. Yes, Edward Spellman, and this is the story of Edward Spellman, who has the ability to, to create conjure spells up. that conjure up demons from hell. Yeah, uh, this was just a, this was an extra long comic. Yes, this took me a long time to read, just because it's so heavy and and with uh, with dialogue and narration and stuff. Uh, but it, this was just basically a again almost a cautionary tale of what happens when you conjure up demons and like when you lie to. It's basically like sat- Satanist people who basically want this guy to conjure up Satan. And, you know, you can't do that because it's Satan. Yeah. Um, and so basically he's conjuring up fake demons or like demons who can change their physical appearance. Who he says is Satan. And essentially <laughs> what he do- what happens is he sort of takes over the, they call it the Church of Night, which is a Satanist right. group. Uh, he takes over this church. Because he can do all this stuff and, and conjure. Yeah, he can conjure. He can conjure these demons and stuff. And so basically, he takes over this church and uh, has a daughter who happens to be Sabrina. Yeah, right. A little spoilerish, but I think we. I think it that is, might have already been established yeah. because this is a a you know it's a it's a direct relation to the Archie comic. So this is I think already known. So if we spoil that, we're sorry. But if you're an Archie reader, you probably already knew that. And you're going like, man, these guys didn't know that? It's totally already known in Archie. Sorry. Yeah, but you know what I thought? I thought of Black Magic last week, how I was telling you, like, bye, they paint uh, witchcraft and satanic worship in a very light and sensible way. Oh, yeah, this doesn't do that. This doesn't do that at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, this makes Satanist and satanic worship look exactly how it's supposed to look. Yeah, like um, we need federal agents to Im- invade this compound, right? They're sacrificing people. They are. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's not so, man. It, it, uh, it's a very it's dark a, comic. It was a real departure from the light for and, me. And I was f- like, for a while, like I had no idea because this is the first issue I've read of the series. Holy um, macro! You got to go back. Another yeah. talk about another this, weird release dates. This was another yeah. one too. But this is also a, a, a good issue to jump in on because yes. now I have an origin of a, of a character and I sort of know what he's doing and wh- where the story's going forward from this point. Uh, but essentially. This uh, this is just this guy's origin. Yeah, and, and that's basically all I can really say. But right. uh, he, there's this character and like the the high priest essentially like almost like a 
mentor to, to the Edward Spelman. Yeah, he highly respects him, right? Yeah. He's this, like, sort of, uh, you know, monk or a, yeah. a high priest. And so I was super, like, confused because this guy was so nice to this kid. Right. And, like, they they had such a crazy, like, good relationship, and he was sort of inspiring this kid to conjure up demons. And in my head, I was like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, and then I was like, like this is oh, a very positive. Satanists. This is a very positive mentor yeah. he has and for I was like, satanic oh, but, worship. Yeah, they're Satanist <laughs> people, so I... I didn't catch that at first until I actually realized, like, oh, okay, I get what they're doing now. But, uh, so yeah, the, from here, if I continue to read, which I think I will. Yes, um, and go back. They're so good, yeah. man. Go back. Uh, from here, you could definitely see the character motivation, so I, I, uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a, a definitely a very in-depth uh, exploration into developing one character, and there was also a big shift with this high priest person where it seemed like he was motivating him with positiveness and then, and then physically chooses like, hey, look, positiveness is working. You're not conjuring like I want you to. So I'm going to start beating the hell out of you. Yeah. And I was and like, wow, that's yeah. only one little surprise aspect here because there is a bunch others that we're not spoiling. But yeah, go and get this. Uh, it's it's Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, issue number seven. I love the cover as well. It's very Gone with the Wind kind of look with this palatial estate and this man with this wonderful beard yeah. uh, and, and, and again that that crazy parchment style of coloring it's it's uh read it in the dark uh put on some halloween music or something it's uh it's very creepy yeah, re- read it with your flashlight you know when you weren't like back oh. in the day when you weren't allowed to read comic books past bedtime uh get under your sheets turn yeah. on the flashlight you know do some creepy stuff yeah, and, and and we're sorry. Get weird. Yeah, we're sorry. We're adva- apologize in advance. This will freak you out. Um. So yeah, yeah. Or read it in the exact opposite way. Put on very yeah. happy music. Turn and a lot of lights, lights on. Yeah. And <laughs> and you see how you can battle that feeling of it. But uh, yeah, so good. So coming in at number four, this is from Abstract Studios, Mr. Terry Moore's Motor Girl issue number seven. And I love this. It's a black and white comic. It's very much an exploration into PTSD. Yeah. And this woman that's living out in the junkyard in Nevada by herself, who has a companion that is a figment of yeah. her imagination. Um, I don't want to talk too much about this because my favorite <laughs> aspect about this book was the ending of it. Yes. Um, so I, I again I, I um I I don't think I'm gonna say too much. I got something. So you do you because I, I again my favorite aspect of this book was literally the last page. Yeah. Um. So. He's great. Not. Terry Moore is great at doing cliffhangers, but I love that this has a, a a lighter, you know, friendlier sensibility to it, right? Kind of a good time in this strange little alien sightings in this almost Area 51 in Nevada, and this group that really wants to harness the technology of this alien group and find out what they're all about and experiment them and cut them open. But there's these light-hearted moments, like with even some of these gangsters that are hired, that uh, they're <laughs> the kind of likable characters, right? <laughs> Uh, Terry Moore is no, uh, I guess, stranger to doing these kinds of stories. Um, there is a funny aspect too, where like these two characters who have been separated for a couple issues <laughs> finally like get to reconnect, and they have this like, like running through the flowers moment almost. <laughs> Very much you know, so. Like a din 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 din. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was great. It, it's very comedic, surprisingly comedic, which yes. I I, uh, I didn't really know this. Uh, I don't know to, to to be this this sort of funny. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, again, the cliffhanger at the end of this <laughs> you go in there is just so good. It's uh, nuts. Yeah, you yeah. gotta read it. It's uh, I mean, if um, they just seem to be getting better. 
Yeah, I, I this hope is a short book too. Yes, it's real short. I, I read this in like five minutes. Yes, not super dialogue heavy, but we do go back into Sam's sort of right where the last issue left off, which was she was in like Iraq, and uh, the, something happened horribly happened with this this child that was chained up to a bomb, and that's why she's having some of these PTD P, PTSD issues, and it all is tying into some very deep, very um, layered. Uh, development of this character Sam, who is uh, really battling, you know, PTSD and having imaginary does, friends and so on. Does she have like cancer too? Like, I forget if that's a, like a known aspect mm, of this book. Yeah, maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't. I'm not sure. Uh, oh well. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> that's um, uh, you got to see it. It's great. It's hard to find. It's indie publisher Terry Moore and Abstract Studio. But go get Motor Girl. It will make your heart happy. It's ultimately very heartwarming and amazing character development. And a mixed bag of emotions from happy to sad and, and very detailed. But gorgeous stuff, right, Motor Girl? Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Um, so coming in at number three. Here we is, go. Uh, Breaking into the yeah, top three. Top three. Here coming we go. Coming in at number three is uh, Baby Teeth number two by uh, Donny Cates and Gary Brown. Uh, Donny Cates is doing the writing. Uh, Gary Brown doing the, the art. Uh, this is by Aftershock Comics. Uh, yes. Tell us again. You recently yeah. met him. I, re I met both of them. Uh, so they're really cool dudes. They gave me um, a sketch on a like a, a black covered comic of issue number one. Uh, this issue, uh, it was in my opinion, it's better than the first. This yes. had some depth. Really, really good depth to the uh, the story with um, totally the father agree. figure of this and like and. Basically, this is. I'll, I'll give. Tell the gist, gist of the yeah, story. The yes. This lady gave birth to the Antichrist. Um, this is sort of like uh, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Uh, almost. Yep. But basically, this the, when this child was born, there or was, the omen yeah, comes yeah, to mind. I guess, uh, every contraction that this lady had caused an earthquake, right. and so obviously there's something up with this baby. Mm -hmm. Turns out this baby is an Antichrist-esque person or demon, whatnot. Mm -hmm. It's got black eyes. It's creepy looking. Um, yeah. But basically, they're raising the kid, and it's basically narrated uh, a year after uh, the events that are happening. Yeah, it's very Sarah Connor yeah. in that way, right? And she's, she's explaining. A... Yeah, she's she's recording a video for the child, explaining the story um, of of what's going on, and uh, which. Uh, and the, where is the child? Yeah, she's narrating without the kid, so yeah. something happened. Something's happened, but there's what I love about this is there's no action. Uh, there's no real like major right. conflicts yet, but it's still so compelling just because of these character, these characters that you're you're really starting to feel for. Um, yes. The the she's sister, got the badass sister. Yeah, the yeah. sister, which is actually the sketch they gave me on the cover of the book was the sister. Awesome. Um, literally, we're looking at a picture of of the face that pretty much he drew on my the cover of issue number one for what me. a great sketch too. Um, you, you got so you you nailed i mean that's home um, run what you got yeah i mean it, uh, again really nice guys um to be honest like i didn't expect this out of this book <laughs> yeah uh donny kate's hit coming out of a freaking home run of a book with god country uh in my opinion uh so coming out coming into this like i was sort of just like oh okay well he's gonna tell some spooky demon story mm -hmm. but this had some really good character development that i would compare to to god country it's, yeah. it's that good um especially the father figure just the relationships is just so beautiful uh from here i couldn't tell you what's gonna happen i had no idea but right. you're introduced to this government-esque cult that, that that's hunts the big down part of these, it like hunts down these 
Antichrist babies? There's been a bunch of them. Yeah. Which so is nuts. have they have they like stopped the apocalypse already? Like yeah. you know, or multiple times? Yeah. Uh, so again, there's a Batman poster. I didn't even notice that. Oh one yeah, yet. and uh, aliens. They have like Batman. <laughs> and there's also an aliens poster. Um, again, if you want a good, just character-driven story that really threw me for a loop. I, I had no idea this was going to be this crazy. Uh, was pick this up because yeah. Aftershock is doing a really good, really good books right now. Yeah. Uh, I met some of the people of Aftershock there at, at ID10T. That's where mm-hmm. I met Donnie Cates and I met Gary Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, Who just, did the glorious work on yeah. art here too. The, the emotional f- features on the characters here yes. sold it because this was the father and daughter moment. Like she has this baby and she's she's sort of freaking out. And her dad 16. is like this, yeah. yeah. And this dad's like this war vet, right? Yeah. And uh, it's just he was he was very much you know Paul Kent to me. Yeah. You know and and and, and you know what I, um, from the first issue she didn't she explained that she didn't tell any of her family beside her sister. Mm-hmm. I was expecting like, you know, this dad to be like a major douche like, and he ended up being really supportive and like yeah. a great a, a great father you know yeah. and so loved it it was so good um, pick up. One and two. I would say pick up one and two. Yeah. Just to, just so you have them. Just because, uh, I mean, I don't have number two, but um, I thank God I picked up number one the day I got it, and I got it signed, and got it, you know, sketch and stuff. So, you know, pick them up. Yeah. Uh, check them out. Just enjoy character development. There's just yeah. a, a workshop on character development. So. And this definitely like uh, exceeded our expectations because it you do feel like okay, it's like it's Omen, it's Rosemary's Baby. There's you know the Antichrist has been born, but there's some great character development here, and this also this like you said this 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 strange group that's killed a bunch of Antichrist babies to yeah. to stop the apocalypse. What are they going to do here? And the narration but being in the future. Even, I mean, is it is it an Antichrist? You know, is it? We don't yeah, even we know. We don't that. even really know yet, and so. Uh, this is de- definitely a series being held in secrecy, and we don't know where it's going to go, but uh, I love it. So and far. this, for me, was the end. They introduced some new characters at the end. Um, it was fantastic. Yeah. It also made good me writing. laugh. Really it was also writing. very funny. Yeah. Like, it kind of changed gears, because you went from very heartwarming to very, ooh, there's this, this black ops organization coming after yeah. them, and very conspiracy theory. And then it's like Pulp Fiction-esque sort of characters that you meet at the end that kind of give it a humor. So it's... The full spectrum of emotions here. Baby teeth from Aftershock. Go get it. It's a little tougher to get, I know, but tell your local comic book shop you need it. And it's only on issue number two, so you can jump right in here, but it's super. If you love God Country, uh, you'll love this, and it's very much building a great mystery here as to where it's going. So, Uh, Donnie Cates, man, came out of nowhere for me. I mean, I don't know what he's written before God Country, but I'm definitely going to look up some of his old stuff and, and, and... I don't know. Maybe I'll give a review on it and stuff. But yeah. I really want to check out what he's done. Let's so. get him on the show. We're yeah. coming after you, Donnie. Yeah, Please. I mean, I'll, I'll, We'd love we'll to talk to, to you. It's uh, so coming in at number two uh, by Marvel Comics is Nick Fury number four, uh, which is our, our our art winner. Yep. Um, by Akko, whoever you are, <laughs> uh, male or female. Uh, yeah. Our yeah. mystery artist, Akko. Our mystery artist, Akko. But uh, also written by James Robinson. And this is... This is a one. Sh- Every one of these have been just one-shot yeah. missions from Nick uh, Fury Jr., and it's just so well drawn. The art, like I said, is gorgeous. Surprisingly, though, what we were saying was the cover doesn't really know justice whatsoever, right? Like, yeah. wow, Akko, uh, 
simplified the cover with just some we don't really blue know bubbles. Some bubbles. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's really it. But uh, <laughs> the, the book looks great. And again, the yeah. art is what really shines in this book. Uh, Holy mackerel. To be honest, this could have been. This could there could have been no words and just like I could have just looked at this and I probably it probably would have had the same ranking right. Um, but uh, these are just fun stories. Yeah, you can sit down and just read one. You can pick up any issue and just read it. Yep. Um, and uh, no, no needing to know what happened in yeah. previous issues. You can each one is its own mission, and they have a clock in this one timing down. Yeah. To where he has he only a, has about an hour. Yeah, he's got this liquid uh, in his lungs that allow him to breathe, and he's got one hour to do it, and he's got to get out of there to stop a Hydra agent that's uh, basically... Infiltrating Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, th- that is basically the gist. That's like, the it's gist. Right there. Uh, it's a James Bondian mission yes. to Atlantis, which right. you will never see in a James Bond movie. Uh, I mean, unless it's like, you know, back in the 60s when, <laughs> when it was trippy. Uh, but... Uh, the art again is just what really shines. Yeah. Uh, th- again, th- there there doesn't need to be a crazy story for me to enjoy this. No. They could have. Th- the art was just so telling, so beautiful. Uh, yeah. This could have just been like a Geico commercial for twenty pages, <laughs> and um, it w- <laughs> we would just love to put our eyes on it. But uh, there is a there is a fairly like nail biting moment at the end that yeah. I, I enjoyed, and the art again does it real good justice. Uh, just the, the picture of Atlantis is just beautiful. Yeah. This is what it needs to be like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Like when they've seen Namor one day. Who knows? A Fantastic yeah, Four know. movie. I don't know how you film this. Right. Like, there's no way you can make this reality because the that's colors what, are just so crazy. That's why I'm so excited to see Aquaman. Like, how are they going to do the underwater yeah. stuff? That's what makes me think of this. But the clock's timing to where he's going to drown. You know, and yeah. that, that's always a, like a factor here. And every time uh, something happens, they give you an update on that time. And so it's like it's paced really super well in this single shot mission in, in of Nick Fury in Atlantis. So it's well done. There's a two page splash here with Prince Namor that's just gorgeous. Yeah. Anyways. Which Prince Namor, I've read zero on. Uh, <laughs> so I, I mean, I know who he is, but like, like having a book where he's in it, it's like cool. Like yeah, cool. I've read something with Namor in it. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, but yeah, it was it was it was good. Um, yeah, want to see the next one, and hope it's totally different in a totally different world. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and they switch it up each time. It's just been every, so refreshing. Every issue ties off like, and it's done. Uh, Love that. So yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, Nick Fury, go get it. Artist winner, easily, hands down. Not the cover, not, not the best cover, but the rest of it was amazing and beautiful. But it really was a number. It, the number one that we're about to get into <laughs> right here was kind of a tie for me. Um, <laughs> what I'm thinking too is like maybe they spent so much time on the art. That he was just like, dude, just doodle something for the cover. <laughs> yeah. Like, just, it's were... taken way too damn long. Right. Just, just throw some ink. Whatever. It. It's, there you, you go. You've Publish done it. so many lines. We don't <laughs> care. Just give us whatever. And he was like exhausted. But yeah. uh, so, so number number one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here it is. The numero uno. The one that beat them all. <laughs> yes. So it's, uh, this is by Skybound. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite books right now. Yeah. Um, this is Extremity number five, right? Yes. Number five. Yep. Uh, written by Daniel Warren Johnson and art by Mike Spicer. Actually, it's it's art by him too. Art. Mike Spicer oh, does really? the coloring. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. So he Daniel wrote Warren it Johnson. and did the art. Yeah. Yeah. Art and writing, uh, and then Mike Spicer's doing the color. Yes. But uh, this is basically. I'm glad it's one of your favorites. Yeah. I mean, this is this this rem- reminds me. You could block out the the writer's name, and and I would think it's a Mark Millar story. Um, it's has very that, has close that feel to, that, to has it. That feel. Um, where it's just very off-world and like so unique that it feels like like I would read this in a Mark Millar book. Uh, yeah. But uh, 
this this is basically the story of these two tribes on this crazy <laughs> Avatar-like world. The red squared people versus the green dot face. Yeah. They always have the... And it, I love that it's like not <laughs> Visually, paint. It's yeah. like it's genetically there. Yeah. Which is um, weird, but who cares? So th- this, this issue, it's sort of like a calm-ish uh, of the storm where less war and more torture. Um, so this is basically... What I would say is that nail in the coffin for the dad character. Yes. Uh, he is Brings torturing... his character to true light yeah. as to what he's really all about. The Abba of yeah. the, the leader of the red fa- red squared, squared face group. <laughs> red rectangle faces. Yeah. Um, they have a name. I don't remember. But uh, these... Oh, man. These characters... I, I would say every issue you learn a little bit more. Yeah. Which is a style of writing I'm not too fond of. Uh, you know what I mean? Like where the origin is smattered through every issue. Yes. And I don't really like that. I mean, to be honest, I don't really like that. fractured at times. Yeah. Yeah, Just because it's sort of like, well, I would like to have this emotional moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and understand this emotional moment knowing that I know all this about these people already, but this is doing it really well because every issue, the the origin sort of ties into what happens to the story. Mm -hmm. And this one, it has every little piece of that we flash back on in, in, into the origin of this this main character, who's this girl who lost her hand and can't draw anymore, uh, you you lose that innocence, yes. which is I would say is a great metaphor for like this book is because she, the father figure in this book uh, is influencing her to do all these stuffs. You know, you flash back to this influential moment on in her life, and mm-hmm. in a sense, almost like I would say it's like Inside Out, you know, the movie Inside Out, mm-hmm. where you're losing like a core memory. Yeah. You know, you're you're blocking it out with this horrific torture scene that she's forced to do by her father, uh, and and there's a great page where uh, it shows like her being held by her father, uh, like like being held, and then it shows um, like the next panel down is her like cutting into this guy, mm-hmm. and it's just like the the uh, I guess the contrast of those two like just completely different panels yeah it's just like what explains to me why i love this book so much it's just because it's like it's so metaphoric and like your the loss of innocence is just so beautiful and i love this book it's good i do too and the reason why it's the number one pick for me is is thea the primary character is truly her loss of innocence and it's also the how her father the abba is passing the torch to the daughter like he unfortunately can't go with his son. His son is very like sensitive, Rolo. and he's just not a fighter, and it's just not for him. But Thea is also striving in this area because she, she was at a very young age, you know, tortured, and her hand was cut off. Uh, that's very much her driving motivation. She's very angry, and they also took her mother. So it's like she, it's it kind of feels like it's uh, going back to Terminator. It's that John Connor uh, story. It's where you know they're they're building the uh, the ultimate general here in Thea. I feel like the Abba, her father, may just uh, eventually sort of not be there. This is ultimately that building of Thea being, I think, the primary general. But it could be totally wrong. Um, But it's a bit of that in where it's that passing of the torch. And there's just this subtle, quiet, just very lovingly heartwarming moment at the very beginning where she draws a picture of her mother. And ultimately, she's battling with forgetting what her mother's face looks like. mm And he draw and this just this flashback of her drawing this this gorgeous profile of, of the mother and brings it up to dad's you know war headquarters and the father just just looks at this picture and has this just loving moment with his daughter saying like that's a beautiful painting and yeah. then flash to now where she can't draw that anymore 
and, and she's torturing somebody, you know? Right. And there's an article written by uh, the, the creator at the very end kind of saying, like, hey, I know this is heavy, you know? Like, it's kind of like this, yeah. not really an apologetic way, but in, in some sense saying, like, hey, uh, I, I realize this is a super heavy, you know, moment in the book, but... It's going in good places, I promise. Like, he had to tell people that. <laughs> yeah, like, I, um, uh, he was maybe afraid that people would drop off from here. But no, yeah. man. You just stick to your guns. You didn't need to even do that. Yeah, this is um, great development here. And we want to see where these characters go. And it's such a great little departure, out-of-worldly departure into this strange Avatar-like realm where the yeah. things are, land masses are floating around. And I just, uh, we all want to see where this goes. It's building to, like, a very big war. I even like the son's little side-shoot story of where he has this sort of murder bot. It's, hashtag it's got robot. no batteries. Yeah. Batteries. Hashtag robot racist. Yeah. Where even that, he's trying to connect with him because he can't connect with his father. So there's that going yeah. along with that robot, which is a deep, deep uh, emotional problem for the young son yeah. that he can't be the Abba. Uh, but man, like, I just love this overall. You got to get this. Yeah, I would say this is probably um, one of the deeply like most metaphoric books. Like the the way I would compare that that relationship, like you said, with the father is like like if you, it, it, which you know is sad that it still happens today. Like when. When a, a gay, I don't know, child comes out to a a parent who's very conservative, and they like reject this child, that's sort of like There's their some relationship. Of that too. Sure. And 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 because he's very sensitive, me, yeah. like, he's not gay, the yeah. young boy, but but he's very, very sensitive, anti warlike. Yeah. yeah. And so so having that sort of like uh, maybe that's just the way I think I'm comparing it to stuff, but uh, uh I, I just thought like. The, the metaphors in this book are just so beautiful and there's a great moment with this character who explains like you know you were so innocent and, and it wasn't the drawings that I loved it was the way you shared them yes. and uh, again just going back on her losing her innocence and I think eventually she's gonna like turn on her father that's just my prediction and like something's gonna happen but yeah. anyway who knows right yeah. it's leading down to something or I, I hope they don't turn against each other but so in a far, way, dude, Thea, I'm starting to very dislike this dad, though. But like, he's I mean, doing what he has to do in this war, like you know. That's. But I loved how they changed the painting of the picture of him. Right, mm -hmm. you saw him as this wonderful rebel leader at first, and now yeah. you're like, whoa, they've blurred the lines here, mm -hmm. and maybe the green face people aren't that bad, right? Oh uh, well, yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty. They're still pretty shitty, but he's not <laughs> any better than them, you know. Right. Uh, but I, I loved it. Um, loved it. Loved it. Loved it. It's our number one pick this week, and, yep. and you know. Ring endorsement, uh, Extremity. Uh, go get it immediately. It's the best of the best this week. So yeah. there you go, folks. There you have it. Shut the vault door. That's what that is. Yes. <laughs> Shut the vault door. <laughs> so that you have it there. Those are <laughs> the vault. Oh, goodness. Those are the greatest of the greatest. Our recommendations. Those are all of them for New Comic Book Day, July 5th. Please walk into a local comic book shop and tell them you'd like to buy those immediately. And tell them that Jables and Chris from Sunspots Comics sent you. They'll look at you weird. But who cares? <laughs> um, if you have any questions, comments, or uh, if you would like a personal com personal comic book recommendation, uh, please email us directly at uh, chris at sunspotscomics.com or justin at sunspotscomics.com. Uh, if we choose your email and we'll discuss it on the podcast, we'll send you a comic book prize as our thank you. Yes. Um, so please sign up for our email newsletter you know, at sunspotscomics.com slash contact. And, uh, and please tune in next week for issue number 115. Just subscribe to the podcast. You'll never miss it. We will be reading a list of, so far it only says seven, 
new comic books. <laughs> It'll be more. Yeah, I think uh, for July 12th, because I don't think Diamond has updated their list yet. But there's two new number ones coming out that I want to check out. Maybe it's a very light week. That'd be crazy if it was only nine, but I doubt it. Two books coming out, though, next week that yes. I am extremely excited for, because I'm loving Amazing Spider-Man right now. Yes. Uh, and Defenders. Defenders is awesome. Uh, yes. So here's a little pick, quick, uh, quick pick, uh, peek into some of the awesome comic books coming out next week. So Amazing Spider-Man and Defenders. Also Darth Vader issue number three, the new Darth Vader with the small helmet. Uh, more on that. Of course, Batman Detective Comics 960. Uh, Flash number 26. Yes. Uh, Star Wars Doctor Aphra number nine. Uh, and X-Men Blue number yeah, seven. Number which, seven. Uh, which hasn't made our list, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, I loved like the first two or three issues, but you know, yeah, we'll X-Men see where Blue. this is going. It's been the best of the X-Men titles, That's at least. True. Yeah. Absolutely. So but, uh, good stuff. Yeah, it's going to be another amazing week of comics. So please just subscribe, listen in, and please tell a nerd friend to check out Sunspots Comics. We would appreciate it. So thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you want to help us a little bit, just subscribe to it. Go to iTunes, give us a five star review with a little positive blurb. We'd really appreciate it, and we'll give you a little shout out, Rooney. Uh, but yeah, we'll read your review and stuff and. Thank you on the podcast. Yes, yeah, so go see Spider-Man Homecoming. We're going to see it again. Yes. Very uh, soon. If, if I don't see it tomorrow, I'm going to see it on Monday. So Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more, more about our second time viewing review Yeah. when we see it again. Late reactions. Yeah, so thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll leave you with some wise words from the late, great Adam West. I've always tried to fit what I do professionally into my family rather than the other way around. Thank you, Adam West, for those inspiring words. So thanks, Jables. Appreciate you being here. No problem. Talk to you next week, everyone. Thank you for listening. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Comics now.